Like, I always thought when you reserved a place that you paid when you got there, not that they charged you, like, two months ahead of time. Mm. But anyway. Um, I see a deposit, but the whole thing is odd. Yeah. But anyhow, so when I charged me, it didn't go through the first time. Because mm. my, my credit card was like, hey, some fishy activity is going on. Is this you? And I went, yeah, it's me. And I went, oh, okay, try again. And then it worked. We get that every time that we go to Europe. Yeah. The first thing that we buy, we're just, boop, no, boop, <laughs> no, boop. Oh, right. Hello? Yes. It's us. We're here. Yeah, I... We appreciate it, but... It's uh, funny, because that, that's what I... I mean, I've always called and, and warned them when we're traveling in England, or to, to Europe, to England, or whatever. And the last time I did that, the lady's like, oh, you don't have to bother doing that, because we can tell by, by your charges that you're going there. Oh. Like, there's a steady, like, you know, you bought airplane tickets, you bought blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and they say, uh, that creeps me out. Don't <laughs> quit, quit tracking me. That's why we send you ads for... Do you need insurance for England? Do you need an anti-tracking software? <laughs> do you, that's right. Do you need a... What is it called? A VPN for your phone? I do. Are we recording this right now, by the way? Oh. Why should we be? Is well, it, this is gold? No, it's just Simpson. I was just like, you know, there's things I could talk about that would lead from there. That's okay. All right, if you want to start the show, we can sure, do that. Sure, sure, sure. Sure, Why not? Hi, everybody. Welcome to Seek a Dragon. I'm Ian Boothby. And... My name is David Dedrick. Damn right it is. And we are episode 510. Thank you so much for listening to our big bag of nonsense. <laughs> We're uh, recorded uh, live to tape. It is indeed recorded live to in tape. In Vancouver, British Columbia, at Hellkitty Studios, mm-hmm. in the sub-basement of my house. Sub-basement? Sure, why not? This is the third, this is really a sub-sub-basement, because this is the third basement. Okay, yeah. As you know. But we've we've had two Hell Kitty locations. Mm-hmm. One was above a comic store, and one is not. And uh, <laughs> I think this is uh, because the other one was on the second floor. Yeah. And this is uh, in the basement. Mm-hmm. I think that counts as sub. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mathematical questions, uh, such and such. Anyway. Yeah. Long story short, I'm not telling you where I live. <laughs> hey, I got. I was thinking about this when I was editing the show last. Uh, Saturday. Okay, that presupposes this show gets edited. <laughs> I dare you to listen to the I show shouldn't. and tell me that is the case. <laughs> I shouldn't say edited. I should say when I was listening through the show before I posted it. Sure. Which is more accurate. You said at the beginning of the show, you said, I've been listening to some past episodes and I noticed that I was distant. Yes. And I was just wondering why, why were you listening to past episodes? Because um, I was just concerned with how my... The sound was. I was setting oh, up okay. kind of things here. Yeah. And I was going like, How, how's the sound? Mm. And so, because I don't use headphones. Yeah, that's true. I'm real loosey-goosey that way. <laughs> they, got, yeah. People know me for my hair, right? They that's know it. me for my hairstyle, and, yeah. it, and, and it, it, it alters my hairstyle a little bit. It does. And people go, uh, don't mess with yeah. perfection. Headphones don't work with bouffants. You're, you're damn right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, the only way I can check is to listen to past episodes and yeah. go like, hmm. You know, because I used to listen to the past episodes we did during uh, the COVID separation period. Okay. <laughs> and so it was nice, you know, when we were able to do this in the same room, mm-hmm. again, the sub-basement yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then 
yeah, I just wanted to see how it was sounding. And I sounded like I was just a little bit uh, far away, you know, <laughs> yes. a little of this. Yeah, a little, you know? too, little yeah. too relaxed. A little too. Whereas you are more intense, grounded. Am, yeah. Uh, feels like you've called me into your office and we're having a conversation about where my career is going. <laughs> <laughs> where do you see yourself in five years? That's, that's exactly the question I ask every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Listening to you talk about Beverly Hillbillies episodes. And really break them down. I, I, didn't even, I never even watched that now, show. Now, as you know, this occurs also in the Petticoat uh, Junction universe. <laughs> okay, that, and the Green Acres okay. universe. Uh, the trilogy there. And uh, I have seen more episodes of those two shows than I've ever seen of any of the Beverly Hillbillies. Although I know the theme song, or I knew the theme song very well. Mm-hmm. So I must have watched it, but I don't remember it. Okay, let's, uh, let's just speak the theme song then. What, how's it go? Let me tell you a story about a man named Jed. That's right. Born a mountaineer. Poor. Ba- oh, a poor mountaineer. Yeah. Uh, barely kept his family fed. Sure did. What happened? One day while well, he was out hunting for some food. Oh, then one day. Oh, then one day. Shooting, shooting up some <laughs> something. It's food, It, it has though. to rhyme. F- shooting up some food. Yeah. Uh, up from the I've ground. I've really got crude. Oil, that is. Black gold? Texas tea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then what happens? Uh, Kuwaiti liniment. That's right, Kuwaiti liniment. The, the devil's tar. <laughs> and then, um, so... So first suddenly, thing you know... Jed's a millionaire? Yep. Then he says he's going to move his family out of here? The kinfolk say. Oh, the kinfolk say, you got to move your family out of here? It's pretty close, yeah. <laughs> kinfolk say, you got to move out of here. Okay. They say... Uh, but, uh, California's a place you ought to go. Uh, ought to be? Yeah. So... <laughs> Oh, so they upped their sticks and moved to Beverly. So they loaded up the truck. Oh, loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly. Where? Hills, that is. Got any more descriptive terms? Black cold. <laughs> Texas tea. Swimming pools. <laughs> movie star. Dubai lotion. And then Steve Martin comes out and does a banjo solo. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. All right, now the mm-hmm. tricky bit. Mm-hmm. How's it end? The TV show? Yeah. I have no idea. It ends with them coming all waveless. It's something about, like, thanks for spending time with us. You all come back now, you hear is how it ends. But I don't know the exact uh, lyrics, but it's just like, you know, thanks for coming. It's great. And then they wave at you for forever, and it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> Southern hospitality. Yeah, that's right. To get grab a heap and ha- uh, helping of our, of our hospitality. Okay. That's right, yeah. Okay. I, just, I didn't know that was what it I was just thinking that was what it's referencing. No, that's one the of the idea, lyrics. Yeah. Good call. Okay, well... I'm. Uh, I've talked many times on, on uh, the former former podcast, Listening Party, about and even on this show that I'm not a huge lyric guy, mm-hmm. and part of that is I'm 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 sort of musically motivated, and so the lyrics don't really mean a lot to me, and sometimes I don't even notice them because I'm just listening to the music. But my other problem is I can never remember lyrics. Like if I I can sing along with a song, but if you remove that song as a as a cue. I am, I'm done you, for. Uh, first of all, let me just give you the, the full... Uh, oh my God, there's a lot of versions of this fucking song. Uh, okay, so <laughs> the, uh, the closing theme is, well, now it's time to say goodbye to Jed and all his kin. And they would like to thank you folks for kindly dropping in. Yep. You're all invited back next week to this locality to have a heapin' helpin' of their hospitality. <laughs> Hillbilly, that is. Set a spell. Take your shoes off. Fuck your sister. Y'all <laughs> come back now, you hear? And they had to cut out the line about take your shoes off because they thought that was making fun of uh, cultures that make you take your shoes off. But they kept the fuck your Canadian sister culture. line. Canadian culture. Yeah. Canadian culture. Canadian culture, yeah. But yeah. Because, you know, you can't take your boots off. It's too much work. 
but uh, having sex with your sister, that was all fine. That was fine. You could keep that in. Now Jed's grandma is his sister, and so is his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know how that works, but we really otter. That's right. I was going to have someone having sex with an otter, so I'm Oh, to man. Well, I'm glad I and stepped then, in. Yeah, so we'll see you next week with all these crazy cats. And let me end this saying, the Aristocats. <laughs> and so on and so forth. Have you ever written a song? Yeah, I've written a few songs. We wrote songs together mm-hmm. that were okay. It was funny little ditties. Uh, my favorite one being, um, we got it wrong, but I enjoyed our song about a fob. A fob. We. I thought a fob, fob was a fob. A fob. I thought a fob was a pocket, but it's not. It's like a dangly thing. But that was fine. It was still a fun song. Yeah, that was a song called uh, "When I'm Rich." When I'm rich, that's and right. it was. Uh, it was not. Listen, man. It was not a million miles away from uh, the bare naked ladies. If I had a million dollars. But it was before that. It was way before that. What and can we say? We're two pioneers. Guys saying things that they would do when they're rich, and you're thinking like, "Oh, was this a parody of uh, if I were a rich man?" No, no, didn't really even know that song. I later would be in that play, <laughs> yeah. and hear the song every night. But no, at the time, no, no dice. And it was just uh, two guys talking about what they would do when they were rich. And one of them was uh, they'd get a uh, a pocket watch, and it would have a fob, which yeah. is a pocket and a vest, which is not. It's not. Yeah. But it turned out that's what we thought, or I thought anyway. And I was too lazy to look in a dictionary to find out what it actually was. But it's okay. It worked. In, it worked in the song. Yeah, and no one else knew. You wrote a song, and you were you were very happy with the music uh, to it. And then uh, one day you went, uh, "Oh, it's who, who, who? Do you know the Muffin Man?" Yeah, yeah. That's all right. You were so crestfallen. <laughs> I was so depressed. Spent three weeks laying in bed with a blanket pulled over my head. Eating muffins, just shoving them in your mouth. Just like, now I know the Muffin Man. <laughs> just like, chewing them out. Spitting out the raisins because you didn't like the raisins. Pre, Pre-Spinal Tap, my friend and I did a series of, made, wrote a series of songs together under the nom de tune. Uh, I think it was Bert Lyman was the name of this guy who was like, it was sort of a parody of 60s music. And it starts off as being like, kind of early Rolling Stones or Pretty Things, kind of garage, blues, blues, kind of blues garage rock or whatever. And then, and then we didn't, then there was a song that was like a psychedelic song called Hey Green, Hey Green Frog. Mm-hmm. And then, and then as the 60s go on, then it became like more hard rockin'. Oh, nice. And then there was a song called Leftovers again. <laughs> and so yeah, we, my friend was a really good guitar player. Like he had learned to play classical guitar. And has, then he, has this friend been on the show? No. Okay. No. We kind of fell... Apart. We kind of broke up as friends in high school. Just he went his way and I went mine. We didn't like, not like we had That's a fight. That's very rock and roll. We didn't have a fight or anything. It's just he became more, he became more of a party guy, mm-hmm. you know, and I was less of a party guy. I was more of a not party guy. So that was fine. I didn't, you know, I didn't meet him one time on the, on the Skytrain and I thought it was him and I was sitting right beside him and he didn't acknowledge me. And it had been a while since we saw each other, so I thought maybe he just didn't recognize me. I didn't think he was being a... And, and I was like saying his name to him, and he wasn't looking at me. Hmm. And I was like, oh, this is kind of awkward. So, but I wasn't giving up. <laughs> so I just tapped him on the shoulder, and he looked at me and goes, oh, hey, Dave. And then he was all happy. And I said, oh, I was calling your name. And he goes, yeah, I'm totally deaf in this ear from playing music. like from oh. playing Because he, he's really got into heavy metal music. That was another reason we kind of fell apart, because I was okay with like liking... Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and stuff with him, but then I also like like super poppy, especially new wave music, which he was de- he was so dead against, you know, like that was just like verboten, and uh, he was only he only wanted to like play like black metal, you know, like kind of really super mm. heavy metal kind of stuff, and uh, 
I wasn't. So that was another reason. But yeah, he was a really good guitar player. Like he once performed um, Stairway to Heaven at high school, in junior high school. He and some other people did Stairway to Heaven. And he played all the Jimmy Page parts on his guitar. Was that when... Uh, no, that wasn't, wasn't it. His, was his sister played the flute part because she played flute Aww. in band. And then uh, another guy who was in band, he played bass and sang. And then they got a, another friend to drum. And they did it for uh, during the band concert. They did a did Stairway to Heaven. And were you part of band at the time? I was. I played trumpet, which is a great party party instrument, as everyone knows. When was the last time you played trumpet? Mm, when I was pro- probably 20. If you could, if you picked up a trumpet now, could you play something? No. You no. lost the lip? Lo- yeah, my embouchure is long dead. Okay, but I'm talking about your lips. <laughs> but them, them too. I mean, I know. We're of a certain age, so yes. Look. <laughs> Uh, I, I get what you're saying. Apart. We all have that problem, and, mm-hmm. and you can take medication, but okay. <laughs> oh, we'll fix my embouchure. <laughs> See a doctor. Yeah, it's like, I mean, when you're a teenager, you're yeah. like you're using your embouchure like every day. Yeah. You're sneaking off, getting a little embouchure action. Well, that's what they say. If your embouchure stays active for more than sixteen hours, you should call a doctor. <laughs> I'm going to tell you one more lyric to the uh, to the Beverly Hills. Sure. Uh, this is one that's part of the song, but isn't included in this in the show. Oh, really? Yeah. This is, so a, this is hidden, right after, a secret a secret lyric. Yeah, this is after Hills that is when pools movie stars. Mm-hmm. Old Jed bought a mansion, Lordy it was swank. Next door neighbor's the president, next door neighbor is the president of the bank. Lots of folks complaining, but the banker found a fault cuz all of Jed's millions are sitting in the vault. Hmm. It's not great. It shows ignorance of how banks work. They don't put the millions in the vault? No, they invest those millions. Mhm. They don't sit in a vault. <laughs> They're a bank. That's how they make money. But uh, yeah, so that's why they wrote, that's why they took those lyrics away because they were inaccurate. <laughs> yeah, and also, what are you going to do? What are you going to show? Are you going to show like the ba- like you should you show the, the banker in the back, yeah. uh, rocking back and forth on the car. That's good. That's a good uh, scene. Mm-hmm. Showing up, uh, pulling up to the house. Excellent. Love it. Uh, yeah. Do we want to see the banker's house? No. Why do we want to see the banker's house? <laughs> want to see him throwing some money into a vault? No. Why do we want to see that? We don't see that shit. No. Get on with the show. Yeah. Yeah, we want to see at the end maybe them all waving like idiots at you. <laughs> Pretty uh, Daisy Mae. I think she was holding an animal of some sort. Yeah. By the way, Jethro. Jethro. Um, the uh, remake, the movie, not bad. Oh, really? Not bad. <laughs> Good cast. Cloris Leachman as as, uh, as Grandma, oh, okay. as Granny. You're yeah. right. uh, Jim Varney was uh, Jed. Okay, that's good. Uh, I accept Dietrich that. Bader, Bader yeah. uh, was was Jethro. Mm-hmm. I do not remember who was uh, Daisy May. Sexist. No, nah, it's probably true. Who, Robert Grant. Who was Granny. the best character in the show? Who's the best character in the show? Well, as a teenage boy, Daisy May, hundred percent. But I would say, I would. Oh boy, look, it's the thing. You want Granny, but you want her in short doses. <laughs> Right, like she's always yeah. bananas. Like what, when she's doing something, she's got a gun. She's threatening. She's crazy. She's, she's yeah. basically the little Abner uh, granny. Yeah. But I would say Jethro. I enjoyed uh, Jethro because he would do dumb stuff with a lot mm. of heart. So he'd move the story along. I always liked the bank lady. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She just, uh, just, she just was a good, good yeah, character. She was good. Yeah, good actor. Yeah, good, good. Part, and that's yeah. the thing. I think that's why oh, they. Jethro. I think that's why they oh. took out. <laughs> that's why they took out that uh, oh. that stanza. Was because the banker really had nothing to do with the show, but it was that lady who became like the sort of the. Yeah, I always confuse him with uh, Mr. Mooney from mm. uh, Lucy. Lucy's show. Just, yeah. just a grumpy banker who's like, <laughs> just so mad. But you're right, she was great. Oh, she's the actor. Yeah, she'd be played. She'd be played by Kevin McDonald now. That would have been good. <laughs> just have Kevin McDonald in, in drag in the. Yeah, that would have been good. Yeah. Why not? Why not? She had such a crush on Jethro. I thought you were saying Kevin McDonald, but. 
You had such a crush on Jethro? No, no, she did. Oh, she did. Her character. That was her driving that was her, force. Okay. The banker's uh, character's driving force was, of course, the money. Mm-hmm. Wants to keep the money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and hers was uh, love of Jethro. That's awesome. Yeah. And she had a moral compass. She was trying to steer things towards the good. She was doing good. Mm-hmm. I assume she runs the bank later on, like after the show goes off the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that guy dies of evil and, <laughs> uh, and, and she takes over. Don't bet on it. And then maybe she gets corrupted. I would actually like to see that now. I would like to see them do a uh, Rest in Peace, Ed Asner, yeah. a Lou Grant-style drama mm-hmm. that is just about the banking industry. Uh, that's a spinoff of Beverly Hillbillies. There is in the center. Yeah, they've like the Beverly Hillbillies mm-hmm. moved to Dubai. They're gone. Yeah, yeah. And so now it's just we follow uh, the bankers and see what happens with, yeah. the, with them. I like it. It'd be kind of like Ozark, but with her as the center character rather than Jason Bateman. And then you get the uh, you can have the Dubai Hillbillies if you want. <laughs> just see what they're up to. Sure. Now. When do I w- buy something? I'll do. I'll buy something. No, we're do buy. Well, I'm gonna buy something. I do buy something. No, you don't understand. <laughs> they have a lot of fun with that. No, they would. Yeah. No, no fun at all. The um, what was I gonna say? Oh, I know. I, I know. I mention this every week, but when I had can- <laughs> when I had cancer, someone gave me a book. It was one of the only books I could read for whatever reason. It was, it was a history of Gilligan's Island. Okay. Like just completely like from the. The genesis right to the very end of Okay, Gilbert's but let Island. me ask you this question then. You does it include question. any of the, the TV movies? It must have. Your must have. Uh, Harlem yeah. Globetrotters? Does it you include them leaving I, the island? I'm sure I still have does it. Does it include the two cartoons? I'm not sure. I don't. I think it's... Gilligan's Island, Gilligan's Island. I think it might just be the show itself. It does not include uh, appearances by Gilligan and other things like Back to the Beach. I don't think so, no. Where Gilligan just shows up. It was written by Sherwood Schwartz. Yeah. There's nothing about Alan Hale's uh, restaurant. Whatever bucket of clams restaurant. No. Okay. No. no. Just this is the history of the show itself. Okay. I want to hear more about this, but I just want to keep going with this Alan Hill okay. thing. Okay. It was like I remember the Alan Hill Hale's restaurant just because Cliff Nesteroff posts pictures of this all the time. And I want to say like I want to say bucket of clams. It was called bucket of clams. No, no. But oh. it's something I bo- I believe is like it's it's like Alan Hale Jr.'s feed bucket. Yeah. You know, tell him tell him the skipper sent you. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up while you tell your story. I'm gonna interrupt you at some point okay. by just yelling out, "Lobster barrel!" I'm gonna I'm gonna say that, or All right. you know, you know crab right. pail. Okay, sure. So in this book, there's there's a story told by Schwartz that when he came to the to the network with the idea for this for Gilligan's Island, the network said, "We love it, but it's not gonna work because the concept lobster barrel." Thank continue. you. You're right. You said lobster barrel, and you said it again. And there's a big ad there saying, Alan Hale wants to mother your mother for Alan Hale's lobster barrel. Take your mother to the lobster barrel on Mother's yeah. Day. Oh, okay. Let Alan Hale mother your mother. So these are like vintage pictures, though, because he's not alive anymore, right? He is not. Okay. okay. Died in a lobster barrel accident. <laughs> he fell in a barrel, and they found him weeks later? Yeah. And lobsters would eat you, so yeah. don't, don't fool yourself. Don't, no, no. That's sad. Yeah. What a sad end. And but, all I could see was like the hat floating on top. <laughs> and then a little uh, menu that was uh, cu- cut into the captain's shirt. I'm like, oh, they knew how to do that. Little oh, the little the story, the captain's yeah, shirt. Right. Okay, but I've interrupted you. Please, please so, come with Sher- Sherwood Sports. That's fine. Let following me, a dream. Following a dream. So, so now, the, so this network executive said, it's too confusing an idea. Like, like it's a good idea, but how is the audience going to know why they're stuck on the island? Every week, they're going to be like, well, what are these people doing on an island? Why don't they just leave? And so, <laughs> so Short said, he came with this idea of writing a song that tells you the story of the show in the song. And he 
hired a band and he, you know, they rehearsed the song and he this brought... This wasn't Deval, right? Because Deval was Brady Bunch. Was it Deval who sang the... I, I, no, I don't think so. I think he had like a band called The Castaways or some Very kind of name like that. That makes sense. And so he brought them to this, you know, party that was uh, some Beverly Hills party where this executive was. And he had the band play the song for this guy. And he listened to this song and he said, oh, that works. Yeah, let's do the show. So now Schwartz made this sound to me like this was like a revolutionary idea. The idea of having a, a song open a show that describes what the show is. But then I was thinking, well, there's Beverly Hillbillies. That tells you the theme, the idea of the show before the show starts. Like, so they don't have to explain every week why, why they have money. Why are these... Was Beverly Hillbillies before? I don't, I don't know. I mean, Gillian's Island was in black and white. The, so was at, Hillbillies. And so was yeah. Beverly Hillbillies. But was Beverly Hillbillies color at some point? Mm. Okay, well, let's take a look. When did the show start? This, these are excellent questions, and they are questions that will be answered right now. <laughs> okay. So uh, Gillian's Island uh, started in 1960. Uh, okay. It aired in 1964, started shooting in 1963. Okay. All right. And we're going for the Beverly Hillbillies. When did that show start? Probably about uh, the same, oh, the same I'm time. Oh, I'm going to tell you, brother. Mm-hmm. Don't even start with me not telling you. I will tell you exactly. <laughs> 1962. So, you're oh, right. so it, was, it was earlier. So Beverly Hillbillies was earlier. So it's just so it seems so strange to me. Like when I, you know, I read that at the time, and I was like, oh, well, what a what a what a pioneering guy. That's really great. But then I was thinking, there's lots of songs <laughs> that I tell you that, um, you know, and later ones. Like I think the Brady Bunch was also a Sherwood Schwartz production, so he could. Yeah, and then it's about time. I was thinking, like he's got another one too. Does that also tell you the the story of the song? Here's the song. song. Okay. It's about time. It's about space. About strange people in the strangest place. It's about time. It's about flight. Traveling faster than the speed of light. About space people and the brave, brave crew. Okay. Uh, As through the barrier of time they flew. Mm. Past the Roman senators. Past an armored knight. Past the firing Minutemen to this modern site. It's about uh, time for you and me to meet these people of amazing feats. It's about two astronauts and how they educate a prehistoric woman and her prehistoric mate. And yeah, so there they are. And then later on, I remember they reversed it because the idea was astronauts were in caveman days mm-hmm. and trying to educate them. Of course, they were just trapped. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then later, uh, they got back to their own time, but they brought the cave people with them because mm. it's cheaper. And uh, just had the cave people going like, ooh, ooh, and uh, learning stuff. Yeah. But yeah, all three of his shows had the descriptions beforehand. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't produce Beverly Hillbillies, I don't think. So No, no, no. He had nothing to do with Beverly yeah. Hillbillies. So really, uh, he just took the idea, with the, took what the Beverly Hillbillies already did. Yeah, before that, just, all uh, he worked on was Ozzy and Harriet. Okay, okay. Yeah, then he went to the army. And then, uh, yeah. Oh, and he was the head writer for the Red Skelton show. Hmm. Yeah. And the whole theme song for the Red Skelton show was, he's not red, he's not a skeleton, I know it's not his name, but some people think it's about a red skeleton, but it's not, that's just his name, it's a proper name, Skelton, it sounds like skeleton, but it's not, here he is, and then he'd come out and just go, change the song! (laughs) And then go into his thing, there were two seagulls, (laughs) and he'd do a thing. That there was, was once a homeless man. That's still funny. And he says... <laughs> that was a weird show, The Red Skelton Show. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I didn't. It's, uh, it's kind of like the Jack Benny show. It opens with him coming out on stage and talking to the, the crowd. Sure. But the one I watched, he he's, comes out and he's like... It's not comedy. It's like he's, it's like he's like lecturing them or something. Like talking about you know, how people should be nice to each other. It's just seemed really weird. Like, yeah, that was his big thing. Was oh, okay. Be kind to each other. Okay. Yeah. Be kind. Yeah. It just seemed weird. Like, okay. 
Now I'm just looking, by the way, at Sherwood. Show. I want to hear more about that, but I'm, I'm looking at Sherwood. I said all I have to say. That's fair. Sherwood uh, Shorts, they had uh, Dusty's Trail, which mm-hmm. was exactly the same show as Gilligan's Island. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, which also had the description, the descriptive song off the top. Okay. Then it was Big John, Little John, which we've talked about on this show, which was um, Robbie Rist from uh, Brady Bunch. As a as a kid, he he was an adult. He drank from the fountain of youth, mm-hmm. and randomly he turns from an adult to a kid. And again, once again, descriptive uh, song off the top, let you know the lay down all the pipe. Yeah. Then Harper Valley PTA didn't even have to write that. No, already written. All already already written. I think written by Tom T. Hall. And then together we stand. He just recently passed away. Oh, I'm sorry about that. And I've never heard of Together We Stand, but mm-hmm. it was Elliot Gould. Oh, it was a it was a bunch of adopted children from all walks of life. So, oh, yeah, 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 okay, here's the thing. So then you did uh, Together We Stand with Elliot Gould, yeah. which yeah. was basically the same plot as... The Devlin, Max Devlin. No, though. Oh, oh my God, that show. <laughs> uh, that movie. Uh, no, it was the same... This is where I just ramble on. <laughs> uh, there was a weird episode of The Brady Bunch where they did have a group of diverse kids show up, and they were adopted by a fella. And it was going to be a spin-off show called Kelly's Kids. Okay. And I think it did have a couple of episodes, but it did nothing. Mm. So this is trying that again with Elliot Gould. I see. And uh, I thought the name, six episodes aired. The name would sell it. Yeah, Good as Gould. No, it's called Together We Stand. <laughs> and there you go. So that's a, that's a thing. They called it Good as Gould. They probably would have got seven shows out of it. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's it. Because it's not a great concept. And I believe Elliot Gould most recently appeared in the John Mulaney sitcom Mulaney with uh, Martin Short. Oh. And good cast. Really good cast. Yeah. Really bad show. Was that right? Really good cast. But if you watch just the first bit, he does like stand up off the top. Okay. And then you get into the sitcom and just go, ugh. And like from the first like <laughs> like line or two, you're just like, no. <laughs> and everyone's trying their best. Is it like just too, too typical of a sitcom oh it's awful yeah it's just what it is and you're just like why is everyone why is everyone wasting their time with this stop <laughs> it this is an insult to you and an insult to me i refuse to see you do this i refuse to see you do this yeah it's like if uh, you know uh, your favorite musical you know artist came out and just started it uh, just singing birthday songs to to, to to people and it was just like stop it get him back we don't need this yeah yeah that's true you don't hmm. it was actually it was nice on um the Seth Meyers show this week, John Mulaney came on and kind of broke down what his year was. And uh, they talked about uh, his intervention, which Seth held with like a bunch of other comedians. And, uh, you know, he was on, he was apparently like doing cocaine and then he was off cocaine for the time he was uh, hosting the, the Saturday Night Live episode and then back on it. That seems, that seems the mixed up way to do it. I think it seems like Saturday Night Live would be like the perfect opportunity to do as much cocaine as you want. I would say... I mean, he, he's just trying to hide it from me. He his, worked uh, on the show yeah. uh, before then, so I think like hosting the show was kind of a sacred thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, this is the one place you don't... It's like, you don't get high to go to your mom's place. Or, it's like some... <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Lauren Michaels is there, you're not going to... Which is weird, again, because, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like such a coked out joint, you're right. Yeah. And the entire show, to me... Ugh, is like like their structure is still designed for people who are on coke. They mm-hmm. still have their all nighter yeah, yeah. writing it's session, so weird. and it's yeah. all like, yeah, that works if you're on coke. Yeah, yeah. But not if you're a, a normal, not even people that don't on coke are normal. Yeah. But, uh, but you know what I'm saying. So yeah. anyway, afterwards he went and he was working on uh, late night, and uh, he was on coke, 
And he wasn't when he was on the show and when he appeared, but he was afterwards and people noticed the difference and he, he, they could kind of tell. And so, yeah, there was this yeah. intervention for him. And uh, yeah, hopefully things are, things are okay. He, well, he made a couple of appearances on Seth Meyers' show where he was clearly coked out. He wasn't. Though. He wasn't, though. No, no, he wasn't. That was the thing that he was, he was saying. And this is something like after wow. the fact, because there are times where, you know, he was saying like at the intervention, he was going, I'm not on anything right now. It's like, I was. And he's like, yeah, we know. Uh, but when he was on the show, he wasn't. Okay. But before and after, he was. So in like the preparation and then afterwards, yes. But again, I think it's the, the performer going like, no, I've got to be sharp for this, sure. but not colored by that. But then I'm going to wear sunglasses so no one can see my eyes mm-hmm. and a big jacket. Yeah. So everything's okay. I'm all right. Yeah, it was it was a lot of uh, red flags, <laughs> um, but it was interesting. And then since that time, there's other things that have happened in his personal life that you can go. I hope things work out for the best. This is uh, very red flaggy as well. But there we go. There we go. There we go. Hmm. Uh, and I do wish him the best. But it, it it makes me kind of think of like you know if someone like a Phil Hartman had had friends that would have done that and held that kind of intervention. I wonder if it would have made any kind of difference. You know? Was he? He wasn't a cocaine addict, though, was he? Oh, he was. Well, not addict, but oh. he was a cocaine user for okay. sure. Yeah, okay. Both him and his wife were. Oh, uh, well, it, yeah. It sounds like she was an addict because she actually had psychosis. So mm-hmm. that's a whole level, a whole different level. Yeah, of it's, use. A, it's a different, it's a different situation. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, I mean, so many people in Saturday Night Live, you know, have had so much taken away from them <laughs> with with cocaine mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it just feels like such a strange thing to do, but. It's a culture. It's a, cu- it's and a I mean, culture. And I mean, when you do stuff like that, it's like speeding. You know that other, you know that you know that other people have crashed and have been badly injured or killed by it. But you're like, well, that's not going to happen to me because mm-hmm. I know how to speed. I know how to drive. When I first started doing stand up, I remember like going to the the bathroom of punchlines, the the performers' bathroom, and yeah, you could still see there was some coke on the mm-hmm. on the toilet yeah. uh, tank. You know, and it's like classy, and it was it was people <laughs> just trying to cut out the germaphobes. Yeah, it was it was, it, I I mean, you can't really get into people's heads, but then it's hard not to get into people's heads, and you can you can sort of see like why it's so addictive, uh, and addictive not just as in a, as a substance that's addictive, but it's yeah. just like it gets you to where you want to be, you know, or you think it does, or you think it does. I mean, look as much as you know. Robin Williams, you know, was was you know, uh, Robin Williams was was definitely a coke guy mm-hmm. and did a lot of coke performances and yeah. that kind of stand up at that time was what people wanted, mm-hmm. you know, that rapid fire, that rapid fire thing that mm-hmm. you're just like that's cocaine, <laughs> and you look at like uh, like evening at the improv and you see comedians and you're just like that's cocaine, mm. that's that kind of ba, da, ba, ba, or like and I don't necessarily think he was on it you know i don't know but if you ever look at michael keaton doing stand-up you know he's doing everything but like rubbing his upper lip with his finger (laughs) you know it's just like yeah i mean if he if he isn't on it the mannerisms of cocaine are so inherent in stand-up that people trying to be comedians are uh, adopting them you know for that to, to, to look like comedians. They're mm-hmm. just like getting the, the, those kind of habits. Yeah. And, uh, you know, physical uh, gestures and uh, vocal mannerisms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. What I'm saying is let's try some. <laughs> <laughs> I have not, not at all tempted. I mean, I used to work with a person who went through a lot of addiction issues when he was younger, mm-hmm. including cocaine. And he, he describes 
like cocaine parties and they just sound like hell on earth to me. Like just hell. Like just, nope, not, wouldn't even be there. Wouldn't even, I'd walk in the door and I'd just do like the fastest U-turn anyone's ever seen. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it just doesn't sound like any fun at all. But I guess if you're, sorry, I got to check this message, everyone. Sure thing. Oh, wait. What's that? Getting those pictures. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> I'll turn off, now that I'm getting them, I'll turn off my phone just because I wanted to um, know for sure that those are coming. I think if you have self-doubt, as you probably do if you're a human being, and you have any, uh, you know, if, if the structure around you says this is okay to do, something like cocaine makes sense. Because, you know, you're going to be your best self, your sharpest self. And if you're not, you'll still feel like you are. Well, I think when you're thinking of it in creative terms. and I, these, I, I think just at a party where you're mm, nervous to talk to people. Okay, okay. And it's like cocaine makes you talk to yeah. people. And then think, sure. they're enjoying what I'm saying. Sure. But then when he's describing it, it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon the next day. And you and another guy are still looking for more cocaine. Yeah, that's a different situation. Because then, you know, like you you're just take, you spent all your money. Like you've taken all the money out of your bank account. And you spend all your money and you still want to get more. And so you're like looking for someone else that you think might, he might have some more Coke. So let's go over to his place and see. And that to me just, nope. (laughs) Or you could be a businessman at a, you know, three martini lunch. Yeah. And we're all having a good time. We're doing business, business, business. Mm -hmm. And then uh, four hours later, you got the shits because that's how alcohol works. So, you know, plan that out, buddy. You know, and then it's less romantic and glamorous than it was uh, than it was earlier. Yeah, yeah. No, and I've seen, I've seen comedians, I pers- personally I know, not make it to the other side of, uh, of, of, of things with that. So, and again, I was, I was just a nerd back then anyway. I was just a squeaky clean nerd. I wouldn't drink. So, you know, <laughs> that was, I, wouldn't, I would never do that kind of thing. But I can see with someone like, like a John Mulaney who had just the things that he was doing career-wise... Just felt like I could see how that that was that that would fit into a cocaine mindset for sure. Hmm. Like he had a big sitcom which was supposed to be the thing. Yeah. That was his Seinfeld. Here yeah. we go. And yeah. who've you got? Martin Short, Elliot Cool. You got this one woman, I forget her name, Namil. I forget, but she was from Saturday Night Live. She's great. Everyone's great. You're great. Everyone loves you. Do the first show. We hate it. Everyone hates it. <laughs> loathes it. Yeah. And they loathe it, and they say that they don't like it, and your name is the name in the, in the yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could tell it just broke him. Huh. And then he slowly like built himself back up, doing stand-up, 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 to where he's popular again. But if you've had that kind of like, kaboom, mm. you know, you're waiting for that to happen again. Mm-hmm. And you're constantly looking for what's the next thing, what's the next thing, what's the next thing. So you're just doing all this different stuff, all this different stuff. It just was so... Mm. You know, and people were loving him too. And then you got to top that. Now mm. you got to top that. Now you're going to top that. Where are you going to get the energy to do that? You know, well, traditionally, there's this powder. <laughs> and he used to do it recreationally in college. So yeah. maybe your old friend might be able to help you. Yeah. And there you go. There you go. But, le- but again, luckily, you had someone like Seth Myers and these other, and Fred Armisen, and no one else was named uh, who was in the intervention. Mm-hmm. Who, what I liked was when they described the intervention, there's two things I really liked in this talk. One was at one point, John Mulaney asked, So, how was it for you to Seth? And Seth is, was being encouraging up to that point. And he goes, Oh, it's awful. It was just awful being around you. Hmm. And I was like, Yeah, you really hurt your friends. Yeah. yeah. Like, no shit. You know, if you're asking me how, how it was, it was shitty, and it's always shitty to be around. Hmm. You know that kind of that kind of thing, uh, and then you're saying how it was so weird because it was like all the funniest people in the world in a room and no one's doing bits, and you think like they must 
you know, lighten the, uh, nope, <laughs> everything, and, and, and as soon as he walked in the door, he was like, oh, like he knew, <laughs> and it was just, uh, and he tried to get ahead of it, and he tried to get jokey about it, yeah. and they weren't, they weren't buying it, No, they were just like, mm-hmm, okay, so here's, and they just, <laughs> boom, 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 went through with all of their things, and then off to, off to rehab. Well, that's good, though, I mean, because I think all of them should recognize that part of your sense of humor is a defense mechanism, mm-hmm. you know, and if that's what you're, if you're allowing him to do it, and you start doing it, then all of you aren't, no one's being honest then, it's, everyone's deflecting through humor. Yeah, there can be honesty in humor, but at this moment, yeah. it would We're not fuel, a good example of it. It would fuel him. Yeah, yeah. You know, in, in this way. Mm-hmm. And again, I think they recognized that he was high at the time, even though he was saying that he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He was, they were saying like he was two hours late to what he thought was going to be like a uh, um, a dinner with a college friend. Okay. And he stopped off at Saturday Night Live for a haircut, which is just his arrogant move. Like they don't give haircuts, but he was like, "No, I know the hair person. They'll give me a haircut." Yeah. And so you know, his his thing that was a joke was was that he uh, was the best looking guy in rehab because he just he was cocaine skinny and he had this amazing haircut from Saturday Night Live. And in he goes, but yeah, he spent uh, two months, two months in there. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't sound like he hates it yet. That's a problem. It's a tough one. Yeah. It's a tough one. Like you want to, you want to give love and support, Yeah, but without enabling. And that's why I like the, that was awful when you were on that. Yeah, I like yeah, that a lot. Yeah. Just letting you know, this was shitty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've known, I've known people who we're losing control on cocaine and it was super shitty i've lived with alcoholics it's super shitty it's just super fucking shitty and you want and your instinct is to be comforting and kind and as you you've got to do both and it's uh it's it's this but yeah i'm 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 hoping i'm hoping things things work out for the best I like that he's got a network of people around him that uh, you know are seem to be, mm-hmm. you know, supportive. Yeah. Uh, you know, he he got divorced last last year and is immediately into another relationship, which is always kind of a woof. But uh, <laughs> and then now they're having a baby, which is always a woof. And you're like, okay, you know, what can you say but congratulations? You can't say anything else. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't. But that's that's yeah. When you've built a life with someone and then just destroyed it, and then you immediately. I just, yeah, that doesn't feel very good. Well, it's a thing that's in therapy. I forget what it's called, but it's like rushing towards... Normal- I want to say... F- Normality? Wanna, it's it's rushing towards like... And the the word is a parallel word to fixing. Uh, but it, it's basically where you come out of rehab and go, I'm going to get this all straightened out. Yeah. I'm going to get the, the job. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I've got it all straightened out. And yeah. It's like, no, this is a marathon, buddy. This isn't getting <laughs> yeah. it. Nope. And, yeah. and, and one of the things he said was, you know, she really saved me, which is like, oh, boy, you don't want, you don't want the savior. Yeah. You don't want, uh, now I'm going to get it all together and, and do everything right. And it's like, oh, yeah, those, those are, that's problematic shit because that's super hard to do, especially, especially with the whole world watching you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's it's interesting. I mean, it's 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 kind of fascinating because I'm sure like people, even though they were using cocaine uh, to a degree say in the early days of Saturday Night Live, they must have seen someone like John Belushi out of control, you know. But there was no there's no way in the culture that we had. There's no no concept of intervention at that time. No way to like 
stop, you know, stop the train mm -hmm. and, you know, say, you know, maybe, maybe take a step off of this train for well, a little while. Well, the other while. thing is, is it, you know, there's a bunch of people who don't want the train to stop because mm -hmm. the train's making money. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, he's like one of the most popular people on the show. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what why do you want that to stop yeah yeah you know for his sake sure maybe but if you if he's dangerous if you try to like stop him from doing anything so what are you gonna do you're mm -hmm. gonna step in between him and the cocaine yeah he's gonna fucking hit you what you gonna do so you're gonna do that and also by the way now you can't have a show this week and john's off the show mm. and you're the guy who took john off the show do you want that no of course you don't mm -hmm. it's huge yeah it's like a huge hard freaking thing to do yeah once you have john die then you got a thing with chris farley where you can go huh Mm -hmm. But Chris Farley's thing was always he wanted to be John Belushi, and then in the end he was John Belushi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. There's something romantic about that. Is there? Well, again, <laughs> Is I, used there to, really? I used to live with a comedian, <laughs> and, she, and, and she really liked that kind of Tom Waitsy, you know, uh, thing of like, you know, the drunk person at the bar who was the yeah. genius, yeah, yeah. who would do the amazing songs, but, you know, was the tragic figure mm -hmm. and probably wasn't going to live very long. And there's there's something to that that makes you go like, that's a true artist. They throw everything into it. Yeah. And yeah, and now she's gone. And then it came to the end of that. Yeah. Tom Waits is still with us, which is good because he was doing a fictional character. I was going to say, Tom Tom Waits was acting and, and she she wasn't. You know, that's the problem with, with people like that is like uh, role models. Is to not realize that it, one is acting like that. The other, you know. Yeah, it's so a live fast, die young, live a good looking corpse. And it's like, live a good looking corpse for who? A necrophiliac? <laughs> yes. You know? Do you want yeah. someone to dig you up and have sex with your corpse? Fair mm -hmm. enough. Yeah, yeah, and when that and that when that pose wasn't fun anymore, he like went on to the next thing, you know. He went on to the next phase of his career. That wasn't that. It was, you know, now he was the crazy musician. Mm -hmm. You know, whose every song sounded like a bunch of cookie trays falling down the barn stairs. <laughs> you know, that was, his, that's, that was his next phase, you know, and then he just keeps moving on from there. Mixed in with doing some interesting acting roles. Yeah. Because you see him in, an, in, in like Dracula or whatever. Like, Ooh. Yeah, or even like uh, yeah. Mystery Men or uh, Ironweed or, you know, uh, Down by Law. In, did you say he was in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula? Yeah, he's a uh, Reinfeld. Yeah. It's interesting there because he did the music for One from the Heart for for Francis Ford Coppola's movie. Mm. That's where he met his wife, Kathleen Brennan. And then then he also acted for Coppola. I don't know if he's in any of the other kind of uh, Mia Culpa films that he, Coppola did after. He did say that that was his favorite role. Was him like as Renfeld in the mm. insane asylum getting sprayed by a hose and screaming. <laughs> he went like that was his favorite acting job. <laughs> it's just the best. Yeah. Yeah, actually it does sound like it was a fun movie to do most of the actors who worked on that had a good time i think francis for coppola likes his actors to have a good time mm -hmm. and not, he's not too worried about you feel like they'd have a good craft services table yes <laughs> yes that was that was one of the major expenses for apocalypse now was importing all this food and stuff like that from from america for the for the uh catering especially when it was his birthday they'd like this huge expensive meal that was brought over this is very obscure. But why not? It was his money. Absolutely. This is very obscure. Yeah. But was the, in the SCTV parody of Straight from the Heart, was it not Dr. Tongue's stake through the heart? Like, was it not a vampire movie? I don't, I don't remember I that one at it, all. I think it okay. was. I don't remember that one at all. Okay. But I didn't see every one of the NBC SCTVs because there were some I missed because I got caught sneaking down the stairs and had to go to bed. So I know it was terrible, right? But we yeah. had a squeaky stair. 
Yeah, and when you were going down the stairs, you were like, I'm a sneaky dragon <laughs> going down the stairs. I will use this reference later. I don't know where. <laughs> yeah, I, my life is a Sherwood Schwartz sitcom, so I have to carefully sing every part of it. Oh, my God. If you if you had to like confusing. make your life into a Sherwood Schwartz <laughs> song, just sum it all up. I always, I always did like a, a parody of uh, Birdie Bunch, which was, uh, you know, uh, you know, here's the story. Of some, of some kids whose mom died, and they never talk about it in the show. And some other kids, again, never talk about it, never once in the show. That's weird, you think, because their parents died. You'd think they'd have a picture around the place. Was it murder? What the <laughs> hell is happening? Why don't they talk about them? And so... Even though uh, uh, mom was not necessarily a widow, I was just going to say I don't think. Yeah, it doesn't really establish. It was never mentioned. Yeah, it doesn't. The the husband, like the 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 dad. He was a widower. He's a widower, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was actually, I think, a picture of that mom, mm. and in the first episode, it goes off the desk, goes into the desk, the drawer is shut, mm. mom is gone. Mm-hmm. By the rules of Coco. Her soul now doesn't exist. We do not remember her. She is gone forever. Poof. Who's Coco? Uh, Coco, the movie Coco by Pixar. Oh, okay. Yeah. Once you forget someone. Yeah. They're gone. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, indeed they were. So they're gone. Tiger's gone. The cat is gone. <laughs> <laughs> they're all gone. Cat was only in the first episode. What about Tiger? Tiger. Um, uh, people didn't like Tiger on the set. It was just annoying to have a dog. Oh, okay. So Tiger uh, mm. just uh, got hit by a car. Okay, here's an important question for you then. Best Brady Bunch episode? <laughs> Best Brady Bunch episode, I'd say, was, uh, I think, involved uh, Jim Backus. I think, like, Jim Backus, uh, and they were, like, in a mine, and they uh, they trapped them in a mine. Oh, that was the two-part, that was a two-part uh, special. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that was, like, a, a season closer or something like that. Yeah. Because I would say the same thing. I would go with the two-part uh, Hawaiian one. Hawaiian where, one where is, is kind of the, the uh, go-to. Yeah. The taboo or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. with the tarantula and mm-hmm. the surfing accident. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. Uh, single episode, I would have to go with the one where it's, an, it's, an, it's a done impossibly in the show, but where Greg is faking the UFO yes. uh, appearances in the backyard, just That's using a flashlight and a sheet as if it would look as good as it does in the show, which, you know, it's lucky he had like the help of a entire crew of uh, special effects people. And no other neighbors saw this. No, <laughs> well, you know, it's on a sheet in the backyard. I guess so. I would say the one where Ann B. Davis uh, plays her military cousin. Oh, I don't know. Who comes to you know and runs the a really tight ship. Okay, and gives like Ann B. Davis a chance to like uh, really does, stretch her chops. That does sound uh, like I do kind of remember that one. I think it was. I think it was a very similar character that she played uh, in a sitcom that I did not see called Love That Bob. Okay, where she, uh, yeah, she was you know kind of tough as nails, yeah. Uh, yeah. truck driver. And she later played that character in the Brady Bunch movie where uh, the kids are hitchhiking and then uh, she picks them up and she plays her character from Love That Bob. Which also inspired the uh, character of Large Marge from uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh, it's not a million miles away from Large Marge. Yeah. In fact, it was on a night much like this that... <laughs> oh, boy. Good news. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for take, going down memory lane with us there. I was just kind of thinking about Brady. Because, you know, I've never seen the shows ever. Again, like I only watched them as a kid. I've never okay. seen any reruns. But this is amazing how much of it sticks with you, you know, like how strangely important it was mm-hmm. for you as a kid. And and I'm old enough that I watched them new, like they were being they were on, you know, evening television when I was a, a kid. So I was pretty young, but I do remember them. 
But you learn, I mean, as a kid, one of the things you really want to know is how to be funny because being funny is being likable and, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, I was naturally funny, but that's good. Uh, but you have you looks listen, and everything. You listen for the rhythms and you listen for the beats. Yeah, and then you try it out in real life, and your parents get furious at you because they don't like a sarcastic <laughs> kid that doesn't play real good. Which always amazes me when you know you see the Disney sitcoms, the yeah. kind you wouldn't let your your kids watch. Yeah, uh, and they're all just like horny little jerks, and it's just like how did, did kids like try to be like this in life? And yeah, how did that fly? I, well, I think that the kids are living vicariously through that so they're not really doing it themselves they're just seeing it someone else do it so it's not a thing like you see someone uh jump off a roof and you jump off a roof you see someone jump off a roof and go ah i've watched this i do not know how i do not have to do this yeah yeah okay i was more a monkey see monkey do okay yeah no uh, i was not if there was an episode of happy days where someone was catching coins off of their arm Mm -hmm. as a stunt well by god for the next two weeks i was practicing that and getting quite good at it. yeah well i mean that of course that that's but that's cool like that's a fun thing to do Mm -hmm. but the idea of jumping and also the opposite of cool jumping off a roof I don't know, maybe my my friend, when I was growing up, uh, my good friend, he had to go to the hospital for, for some surgery. And when he was there, there was a kid in the room with him who had broken his leg jumping off of shed roof with a, wearing a towel as a cape. Sure. And that seemed to me, A, stupid, and also seemed like a good life lesson of what not to do. So I was, you know, that just seemed... Like I was a very... I was a risk taker as a kid. Like I had no problem with like doing stupid things but you know it's you had to be like there'd be some you know sense to it it just couldn't yeah be. i didn't do a, a jumping off a roof what i would do though mm-hmm. is i would tie a rope to a tree branch yeah and try doing the batman slash spider-man swing okay off of something high yeah yeah and then swing down and of course the uh i would let go of the rope because i can't it's nuts or the tr- a tree branch would break yeah yeah the, G- the g-force woods. thing called g-force yeah. yeah oh you g-force well you pretend to be from g-forces and then you make a bolo and you throw the bolo and you hurt yourself with that <laughs> but yeah no i wasn't i mean okay first i wasn't really a, a superhero guy so that that took me out of a whole bunch of like problems would you be uh, a watching kung fu guy on tv no martial arts that show was too boring for me james bond would that be a kind of uh, I did watch James Bond, but what was your action? That was very adult. What was your action thing that you liked? That's a good question. I mean, I liked, I liked um, the idea of westerns or war movies. I liked, okay. I liked playing shoot, shooting games as a kid. Sure, yeah. but more, more, more. I liked because I liked dying. Like I liked a, a flamboyant death. Sure, sure. That was yeah. that was my go-to. You know, the more the more like tumbles or falling off a wall it was involved in it i was i was all in i was 100 percent in on that but i also liked uh sword fighting like it was fun to t- take mm-hmm. sticks to the to the woods and and sword fight ferns do you think you would have okay if you were when you get in a sword fight with a friend yeah uh i think the move is this yeah uh when they when they're coming at you with their with their sword mm-hmm. their first move is to hit swords with your sword yeah that's always the kid move of course that's when you stab them like, because they're not expecting you to like go for anything at that point. But kaboom, right in there. Yeah, yeah. Wakadaka. Feels, feels like you missed the point of what you're doing. Yeah, you're supposed to go. Yeah, yeah. Have some fun. And then you don't know what you're supposed to do. But the whole the whole thing is you're supposed to like hit the other person's sword. No, I wasn't really into that. It was more fun to like to wreck things with a stick, you know. So walk through the woods and like chop things up. Would you blow things up? I never blew things up. Well, I did blow. I shouldn't say I didn't blow things up. I did blow things up growing up. 
But mostly what we like to do is um, get a... Uh, I'm sure I talked about on the show. We would uh, get, ro- uh, you know, the things that launch rockets? They had sure. these these uh, gunpowder packs. Yep. And my friend and I would break them up and put them into jars. That's how you do it. Yeah. And then put wire in the jar. And then attach it to a battery and that would ignite the gunpowder. Yeah. And it wouldn't blow up the jar. It would just poof. And, but it would, incre- it, and it would create this amazingly dense black cloud that would just swallow the neighborhood. And then it would, depending on the wind, but the wind was usually blowing away, and it would blow the the smoke down the hill from us. (laughs) And we could watch it drift away like this. And I just imagine people like in their backyard, you know, maybe they're cooking dinner or whatever, and then this giant black cloud of of smoke just came drifting past them or over them, and they had no idea, where did this come from? So if if parents would see you putting wires into a jar Mm -hmm. of gunpowder... yeah. Did that ever happen? Did they ever catch you doing it? Because that seems like it would be no. a big reaction. No, because we played unsupervised. Okay. Of course. If you as a parent yeah. walked in on uh, kids uh, putting wires into gunpowder, yeah. uh, what would be your reaction as a uh, as an adult? Well, having done it, I would be like, oh, that's cool. Let's, let's do this right now. Because <laughs> it's not dangerous. It doesn't blow up the jar. So it's just the jar is just like a container. You could do it in a tin can if you felt like maybe the the jar would be too dangerous. No, we would do things, the more dangerous things, which was like steal gas from our parents and put it in a jar. Sure, sure. Yeah. We would take it to the park. Yeah. And light the top, the lid of the of the jar, and then we'd throw rocks at it until we broke it. Mm-hmm. And then we would create this huge cloud of smoke or a huge fireball that would go up in the air. And that seemed pretty great as kids. And, but we were far away from it. We weren't like, you know, yeah. not one of us was standing, <laughs> okay, trying to hit me or it with, with a rock. No, we were, you know, but... The nightmare was one time we were playing like that, and I was staying over at my friends. This is when I lived in Delta, and I, but we were doing this in Coquitlam. And we woke up in the morning, and we could see smoke in the park. And we were like, oh my God, we started a fire. And so we ran to where we'd been playing. And like we, we like dug it all up and tried to... I think it was just morning mist, oh, okay. which we mistook as... as sure. Because it was pretty uh, damp. It was pretty damp. So it was unlikely that we would have started anything. But it was a pretty old forest. It was an old cedar forest. And so it was a great park to play in because cedar trees, you know, they, they drop poison onto the ground and that pretty much kills all other growth. Mm. Just fer- but just ferns and stuff like that will grow. So you, have, you can just walk anywhere you want because, and it has that nice old cedary mulch, mulch in the ground and stuff yeah. like that. And so, because cedar trees have like a poison in them to so protect them from bugs and stuff. Oh yeah, that's why they're really good for fences and things because oh, okay. they'll they'll they have a natural protection. I was say, for fencing because they get poison <laughs> on the tip of your soil, sword, yeah. and then you yeah. know you have a fight and yeah. just dump. ah, you're poisoned now. We hamlet it. You. Yeah. No, that's why people traditionally use them for like shingles and stuff on roofs or or fences because they you know they have a built-in protection. And say like pressure-treated wood, which you have to have like a. Which is only the outside surface of it has been like had this injection of, of protection. Cedar is, you know, good all the way through. The problem nowadays is cedar is farmed and so it's growing too quickly to have the same effect, be, be oh, as useful as it used to be because the rings are too too wide. So oh, okay. It's that's, not as strong a wood. That's, that's, a, that's an interesting tree tip. <laughs> there you go, everyone. We ruined it for, for ourselves. We got a thing with our gutters uh, now. Where I thought it was just the neighbors, but it turns out it's us. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the local crows, yeah. this is where they store everything. Oh. They store every, all their stuff in there. And mm. then like, I'll see them like 
flying it. The crows and I are kind of cool now. Okay. Because um, I we have a bird bath, and so <clears throat> they know when I'm coming out. It's like, oh, there's some water, and I have I have water in the front yard too for yeah. dogs. Yeah. And so they also drink from there. So they're like, oh, the guy's getting some water. He's, he's all right. Don't swoop him. And then uh, <laughs> fill up the water, just like, mm, give you a little nod, and then they sweep down. And, mm, 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 yeah. The water to go up. But like now we've had our water, and we're nice and. Uh, thing we're gonna have our snack so they go to the snack and they go to the neighbor's gutter and and they pick out their things and start smashing it around and then i realized uh we were in the backyard and they thought i couldn't see them that they went for our gutters and they he just looked over and saw that he was busted we're just (laughs) like ah we cool no don't do that (laughs) so hopefully he's not clogging up the gutter yeah i was gonna say that's not gonna it's not gonna pay off well in the winter time when you have to go up there and yeah clear out the gutters of, of uh but like every one of these traders. gutters has like a bunch of crow snacks mm. in, in them, hmm. you know, tons of, tons of stuff. But uh, no lakey. Ho- hopefully it's, I think the other gutters are better. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, we got a relationship, me and these crows, so it's okay. <laughs> you, you have an imaginary relationship. I have an like imaginary it? relationship with the crows. <laughs> and uh, yes. Me and these birds were like simpatico, like one to one. Really? Are you? I know people who have done that crow thing where you give stuff to crows and then yeah. they give stuff to you eventually back. Okay. Yeah. It's huh. almost like a crow pyramid scheme. Crow they reciprocity. Will, they, they do. They will give you mm-hmm. like little uh, shiny things. They will drop them off for you. Oh, There's nice. a little trading barter system they've okay. got going on for you. Nice. Well, that's good. Yeah. I don't want anything a crow would bring me. Let's <laughs> I mean, right. throw it out. Yeah. I mean, and then they ask like, how'd you like it? It's good. Why don't you wear it? Why don't I wear it? The what? The bottle cap? Yeah, why don't you wear a bottle cap? Okay, fuck. And you got to go put it through a string and hang it around your yeah, neck. Yeah. Looks good. Yeah. Thanks. You going to wear it out today? Well, I, I'm not going out to anything where I'd wear the bottle cap. Just wear it on the bus. <sighs> going to wear it on the bus. Okay. Here we go. The crows are following you to make sure you're wearing yeah. it. Hey, look good. Like, huh? you, <laughs> look up, look up. you start like maybe trying to take it off and suddenly he's like, Outside the window, looking at you. Oh, it's just uh, adjusting it. And then when, the, and then they're just outside the bus. When when you when you stop for a second in the bus, and yeah. the crow yells in the window, "He's wearing garbage! Look at that guy! He's wearing garbage!" <laughs> and they all start laughing, and then they fly off. You yeah. fucking crows! <laughs> That's right. This whole someone pissed in that bottle. Bye. That's right. This whole crow reciprocity thing. You you don't know. They're probably just giving you a bunch of junk. You know, they're just like. Yeah, just give them that garbage as return. Yeah, if you think people have a dark sense of humor, probably crow humor is so dark. Because there's no way they don't, like, you know, scare an animal into the road and it gets squashed and they don't laugh. Mm. They're like, pretty good, pretty sweet. That's a good crow joke, is like a squashed squirrel. But, you know, do they also feel love? Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? Well, they love you. They do. That's, I hope so. That's the important thing. Well, they don't swoop me anymore. I know. I know we're not past. We're, we're past baby time. <laughs> but uh, I've I've had a situation where like I walk down the street and then other people do and they swoop those people. I'm like, okay, all right. They know I'm part of the neighborhood. Okay, it's all right. Um, we'll probably it'll probably be a little spoilery, but I, did you want to talk about Shang Chi? Sure, the... sure. Because we said we weren't going to see it last week. We, yeah, we lied about that. And well, let me just say this: it's no Iron Fist. <laughs> Right, we can all we can all admit. agree that. And again, we'll, we'll we'll not. How about this? How about we don't get into what the third act is because that's kind of where it goes in directions that the trailer uh, doesn't say, unless there's there's emotional points you want to cover in it. Uh, that's probably where I had the biggest problem with the movie. Oh, very good. Okay, well, uh, let's okay. But let's, let's not. We don't have to go there if you don't want to. No, no, it's okay. I don't care. Um, 
let's uh, let's get into it. Listen, sure. dude, you don't want to hear any of this. Uh, I'd say go forward about let's go fifteen minutes. Okay, fifteen minutes. Yeah, and and I got an eye on the clock on this. Go. What what you think of the movie in general? I thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the first half of it. Thought it was good. I really liked Aquafina in it, and I'm not a huge. I've not been a huge fan of her in things that I've seen her in, except for the farewell. I thought she was very good in that. But most things I've seen her, I thought, I thought, well, she's okay. She's not great. She's fine. But I really liked her in this movie. And I liked that they used her. Um, they used her. I liked that they used her in the action sequences as well. It was, you know, she's obviously the comedy relief in the movie. Right. And, but I liked that she, that she had, like, participation in, in the action sequences. That she wasn't just, like, kind of like, well, you go wait over there while this is happening. But no, that she was actively part of every scene in the film. You know, I like that she went with the guy when he's like, I'm going, I got to go and rescue my sister or whatever. And she's like, well, I'm coming. And he's like, no. And it's not like, he no, no. He knows enough not to argue. Yeah, argue. It. But the movie knows enough to include her in, in what's happening. Well, what makes it different than most Marvel films is you're usually, your, uh, your, your point of view is the lead character mm-hmm. as they discover things about their life. Or even if it's a Captain Marvel situation, yeah. she's got amnesia. And mm-hmm. so you're discovering things as she goes. Yeah. This is a lead that knows way more than we do. You know, it's all on board. Like, he knows what he is. He yeah. knows the situation. Yeah. And so we need a character that's going to be going, what? Who? What? How's that? <laughs> and she's our character for that. And that's not normally the case in a, in a, in a Marvel film. With the exception of maybe Spider-Man. Because, like, the, uh, the latest Spider-Man films, he's already been Spider-Man. He knows his spider powers. Yeah. He doesn't have to go through the Uncle Ben stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of going through Ned uh, looking, going, what? You're Spider-Man? Oh, yeah. hey. <laughs> following him along but yeah. Ned doesn't get involved in the action scenes that's the thing like Ned kind of gets dropped from the, from the movie like so there's yeah. huge swaths of time where he's just doing his Ned thing which is fine you, you know we don't really need Ned through the whole movie but I did like that uh, I did like that that Aquafina was involved because she was she was quite funny in the movie I thought she was she had like, yeah she good has reactions. a little Sandra Bullocking in the uh, in the bus scene mm-hmm. gets to drive the bus mm-hmm. she's fine she did a good job and, and, and I like that they established that they're valet drivers that like uh, speeding around in the cars, and mm-hmm. so she, it's not like Sandra Bullock. With Sandra Bullock, she was like you know suspended from driving because of speeding. Yeah, and so we know that Aquafina knows how to drive. Yeah. She doesn't know how to drive a bus, mm-hmm. but you know it, it's justified yeah. that like she's got some skills. Yeah. I mean, she's just taking over a bus that's already out of control. So it's yeah. not like she had to like change gears or anything. It was just, it was just an out of control bus. But it, yeah, no, it was like, San Francisco, by the way, is very uh, very superhero-y now. It's like mm, you had Man Man yeah. there, you had uh, Venom there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of business going on. Yeah, I wonder why. Cheap the def- hills are fun. I guess the hills are fun. That's it. The hills are alive with the sound of superheroes. Um, what else did I like about the movie? I thought the I thought the uh, for the most part I thought the martial arts scenes were fun. Like were good fight sequences were were fun. I I did like that. I liked there was a minimum. There was obviously CGI. They cannot cannot have yeah. not not CGI nowadays. And so I thought that was pretty good. Um, I don't think that the actor who played Shang Chi or Shang Chi, Simu Liu, Simu Liu, yeah. or yeah, Simu Liu, so how do you say his name? He best known from uh, Kim's Convenience. I didn't know that. I never, I never seen that show. Yeah. So he's like about the fourth lead on that show. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of weird that he like got promoted <laughs> to being a Marvel superhero. That's pretty good for him. Good for him. Uh, I don't think he has much experience with martial arts. So I think he learned some martial arts well, for the film. Stunt, he was a stunt man. Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I thought, because I was going to say, I thought he was, um, 
I didn't think he had much experience, but yeah, he's a, he was a stuntman. That's right. Yeah. But he seemed to, yeah, he seemed to uh, do like very really good with the with the fighting sequences and stuff like that. Assuming that they're not all like helped by CGI, because one of the problems with watching these films nowadays is when the characters become CGI during fight sequences and stuff, and, and you're like, oh, it's just a CGI person. We went and saw a Free Guy, okay, in the theater, and um, and it was a solid C movie. Would be my review of that film. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple of sequences in the movie where it's clearly the actors are clearly replaced by CGI doing some some actions in the movie, and it's like obvious that it's CGI, and you're just kind of like, well, nah, who cares? Like I don't care. Yeah, I think the best the best fight scene is the bus scene because he's doing Jackie Chan style. Yeah, things. he's doing yeah. jacket business. Mm-hmm. He's kind of charming. He sits next to someone and says, "Hey," yeah, and you're like, "Yeah, he's doing little little things." Yeah, it's like that's that's what you want. Yeah. And that's probably why that scene is good and why it's only that one scene, because it's really hard and expensive to film that kind of fighting style, because you have to do it over and over again to get it right. I have seen some of the shooting of that scene, and he does a lot of practical stuff in there, like mm-hmm. running on top of the bus, then jumping off and grabbing you know, a pole and swinging in yeah, back in. Yeah. He's actually doing it. He's got wires, clearly. Yeah, yeah. But it's still, no, he's, he's doing all this business. It's good. Yeah. Is the bus actually rolling down a hill, though? It is not. It is uh, <laughs> definitely not. That would be foolishness. <laughs> but Jackie Chan would have been rolling down a hill, of course. Yeah. And then you'd then you'd see him in the credits, you know, with his broken leg, <laughs> yeah, well, which we can't well, have. Well, his in this. team fan him with a handkerchief, and he just rubs it and goes, "Oh, <laughs> That's my like, what, how does that heal that?" <laughs> He's falling on his head. Quick, fan him with some handkerchiefs. <laughs> Though you know Michelle Yeoh, you know who's in this. Oh my gosh! Uh, you know she's done her share of uh, real great. stunts and she's amazing great. things. Yeah, and... yeah. I'm not super familiar with everything she's done. She's great in Super Cop, the Jackie mm-hmm. Chan film Super Cop. And there's another, um, I was watching a fight sequence with her fighting a Crouching run- Tiger, obviously. Oh, Crouching Tiger is great. Yeah, Crouching Tiger is a really good film because, A, the fighting sequences are fantastic, but also the, the director's really good. Because maybe that's one of the problems with some martial arts films that you see is that there's often a lack of, a lack of, of uh, staging. So a lot of the fight sequences don't, um, you know, you're not sure where people are in this fight sequence because they just they, they're always crossing the that they're always breaking the 180 degree rule. Mm-hmm. So they have you know the same fighters. They'll be going from the opposite side that they were before, and so you're get, you start getting confused over where people are coming from, and it gets kind of out of control. I got it, it. Maybe it helped seeing this after Snake Eyes. Yeah, that's right. Yes, a movie, a movie that should have had more fighting in it, but mm-hmm. really doesn't have that much fighting in it. Mm-hmm. It's really slack on the fighting. And they don't do a lot of connections to, you know, the Marvel Universe. There's like a little cameo from uh, Wong and uh, mm. the Abomination that's there. They're that like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And then off they go. It's like basically they took like the one other major Asian character in Marvel and just like put him in the, put him in the movie. <laughs> and uh, it's fine. Now they're all hanging out. Now they're all friends. Okay, that's good. That's fine. Yeah. Then, so, sorry, this is going to sort of spoil the data, but not too much. But just just to say that. Of course, the last latter part of the film is is a ginormous battle between two CGI monsters. Yeah, and eh, eh, exactly. And I'm not even. I, and I guess there's supposed to be some kind of emotional stake there, but I don't. There's no emotional stakes for for Shang Chi and for the Aquafina character. They just kind of show, showed up. Like, well, they, they're they not really. I they mean, they're helping, but I mean, they do play some stuff with like. 
the relationship with the father and that like he's not totally evil though he is evil mm-hmm. but like does he love his but son he is evil. But, but yeah no he's evil yeah but you know he's not the kind of uh, evil of wahaha i want okay he um, was that way though yeah yeah and then and then he he changed his ways for a while that's right to be with uh, the woman he loved yeah and raise his children and then as you do in this kind of movie he had his uh, punisher moment where you know they keep bringing me back in that's godfather that's not punisher i understand <laughs> uh it does this does this thing. Yeah, yeah but like his motivation the famous movie punisher three yeah his motivation isn't uh when when he's going for the MacGuffin. yeah uh it's not uh and then i'm gonna have the power and then i will rule the world yeah his thing is i'm gonna have the power and then i will correct this mistake i made mm. that was the worst mistake i made and my heart is is has a hole in it and i i, I must have this yeah uh, but at the same time, he did train his children to be assassins. Sure, sure. He's a piece yeah. of shit. Yeah, let's not get that wrong. <laughs> but right. there's also a bit, of, a bit of him as like, the world is so dangerous. And yeah. He's not wrong. Mm-hmm. The world is so dangerous yeah. that if you don't train your children... Yeah. He's to be, in it. The world is very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. If you don't train your children to be assassins, they yeah. will not be able to defend themselves against... Mm-hmm. The world I created. Not necessarily just that. <laughs> there's other gangs that will come after you and will try to kill you. Yeah, they will. yeah. And also, you know, uh, the Marvel Universe is uh, pretty fucking dangerous. So, yes, learn mm. martial arts and sure, learn how to fight. Otherwise, you know, when hordes of CGI creatures swarm, <laughs> you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, look out. Look out, CGI. Yeah, the, I mean, yes, Shang-Chi is very charming. Uh, uh, Aquafina's Katie is very is very mm-hmm. charming. Michelle Yeoh is, a, is delightful. Yeah, she's always good. Uh, there's a cameo character that goes on a little bit too long, I think, from a previous movie that shows up. Uh, that's played by an actor who is an uh, Oscar award-winning actor who shows up. You know who I'm talking about? He's in the car with them doing comedy relief, hardcore comedy relief all the time. He's in the car? Yeah. He's in the car with a mythological being and talking to that being. I don't remember that. (laughs) When they're in jail, they run into somebody. He's a character from a previous movie. and But who's in jail? When, Sh- when Shang-Chi yeah. and Katie yeah. are in prison, they're in a prison, they run into another character, and the character has a little mythological character that only he can talk to. Do you remember this? No. <laughs> well, let me tell I you. I remember them going to jail. Was, this was a big part. Yeah, it's an old-timey jail. It's an old Chinese jail. They're in a dungeon. And they're and they're and they're there, and then they run into this character, and then they escape from the jail with the help of the character, and that is what takes them to the third act. I wonder if I fell asleep. Yes, I did get I did get kind of bored at one point. That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> you, you missed a big scene then. Okay. So who? Wait, this this who was it? It was uh, it was it was the the fellow who played um, the Mandarin in Iron Man three. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I, I, and he he was the only one who could talk to the little headless uh, creature. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, I'm sorry. That's right. Now I remember that. Yeah, yeah. He he guides them to the to the yeah. magical place. Terry, I know Terry Slathery is like his name in the in Iron Man, and I'm uh, blanking on his name as a uh, as uh, when he was Gandhi. Ben King, Kingsley. Ben Kingsley. Yes. Also, yeah. uh, Sexy Beast. If you haven't seen Sexy Beast, see Sexy Beast. Oh man, because because British act, no one can play scary gangsters like British actors. Yeah, I've said this before on the show, but I'll say it again. American- I did like. I did like the forest that uh, would consume you if you didn't go through it fast enough. Mm-hmm. Like that fine. That was fun. Big ad for a car as you're going through that forest. Because <laughs> um, Marvel does make enough money. They need to have car ads. Yeah, and then, and then just... it all becomes... Yeah, you're right. It's, it, I mean, it's very beautiful when you get to the land and mm-hmm. go, ooh, it's very nice. But 
then you know it's CGI versus CGI and CGI there's a bit versus of an CGI. Journey there's a bunch of characters that you don't get introduced to. They just kind of appear. They're hostile to the yeah. to the people we like. They're hostile to them, so it's hard for us to like warm up to these characters. And they're like, yeah, get out of here. It's like, yeah, you want to say, can they? Like it feels <laughs> like if they go into the woods, they're going to die. That's okay. Get out of here. Yeah, go back in the woods and die. Also, you kind of like once you've introduced earlier on in the movie. You know, Wong is around. Yeah. And Wong has this teleportation power mm-hmm. that can go anywhere. Yeah. Can he go there? Yeah. Like, why do you, why, why is a journey a big deal when you've got a, yeah, through the thing, but yeah. Wong's not around right then. She's like, maybe he, I'll find out. You know where Wong lives for crying out loud. Go talk to Wong. Yeah. It just feels, it just feels weird to me to like do kind of like, you know, it's sort of Seven Samurai or, you know, Magnificent Seven sort of thing. We're, we're coming, we're, here we are, we're going to save these, these villagers from this evil. Mm-hmm. The villagers are like, screw you, get, get out of here. And then we don't have any kind of like, you need like a scene. You need like a, like a sympathetic scene, like a nighttime scene where they, they're eating together or something like that and you meet the people and you get to know them and you get to like them and, and then you understand their gruff exterior hides a heart of gold, yada, yada, yada. But there's nothing like that. They just want to meet them, they, they get angry at them and suddenly then the, the, the other, the, the bad guy inexplicably inexplicably gets there like why it was so hard for for these characters even though in the he they had an inn they had a golden ticket guiding them in and mm-hmm. they almost didn't make it and then the other guy just shows up yeah without any golden ticket well he they did set up a thing where like there's a path that opens once every blah blah blah, blah, blah oh yeah and so he was taking the once every blah 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 blah, blah. Huh. but uh terry slathery because he could talk to a headless little creature yeah just like <laughs> like, oh, he knows the way through. I knows the way through. Is what well, he does. Yeah, well, I'm just doing comedy really for you, man. Yeah, how you doing? Um, I'd be Dudley Moore in another world. Uh, so then they do their thing. That's fine. The the you got like the big the big bad, which is a monster. Fine. Um, but the monster's deal seems to be like first of all eating souls. Yeah, which is like, huh, that's a big thing. <laughs> You've just mentioned that there's souls. So now we know we have magic and souls. Yeah. They, okay. First of all, we knew magic existed. Yeah. Well, we didn't know souls existed. We knew astral forms existed. Yeah, that's soul, though, but, isn't it? Well, it can Doesn't be... that feel like in Conductor Strange when, when the ancient one pushes him out of himself? That's basically the soul being pushed out of the body, right? It could be, but when she dies, it's not like, well, this is my soul. I'm off to wherever I go to. Yeah. Bye. It's not that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm off to the afterlife. It feels like this is, a, this is an element of yourself that goes through. But actually saying, these things are, are eat souls. Yeah. Like, hmm. Oh, no. That's a big deal. So what happens then? Like, is your soul devoured forever? Because they never really get to that. They never talk about it. No, they don't. And it's like, that's a huge fucking thing. Yeah. Like that, you know, these people who are defending and even like the bad guys, like, well, they're bad, but they don't deserve their soul. And like, what happens to your soul anyway? Did you just say to me that there's a heaven and a hell? Yeah. Is this what you just, because this is a huge thing that you just broke in this thing. Uh, In the Loki uh, series... Uh, there's a one point where uh, he's asked if you know he believes he has a soul, mm-hmm. and uh, it's like yes, I do, and uh, you know this thing. But like that's he played deep. by Terrence Slattery. Yeah, well. as well. Everyone's played by Terrence Slattery. <laughs> um, but he's guessing. Mm-hmm. This is just hey, souls are real and they can be eaten. Oh, that that's freaking huge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the bad guy's uh, deal is sorry, we're gonna get into a little bit of this. The bad guy's deal is it will tempt you with your the thing you want the most. Yeah. So you're like, oh, okay. So it does that with the with the father, 
and nobody else. <laughs> yeah. Once it shows up, it's pretty hard to convince people once you show up and you're a giant ugly monster. People don't listen to you anymore. You can be well, like, you could have a thing. I could give you all you want. Yeah, I mean, you could have a thing where, like, it looks like, you know, Aquafina is is in danger or whatever, and it's it's giving him what he wants, which is, like, saving Aquafina, but he's not saving Aquafina because mm. that's just what he wants. Yeah. Like, this creature lies to you. So, like, it should lie to the hero as mm. well. Mm. But if it does, and maybe it does, you know, uh, he doesn't buy it or he's not immediately like, It could nope, be that. Or, or, nope, nope, nope. Or it could be just that it manipulates, you know, and it's what it's manipulating is to get out of this, you know, place this jail that is being held in which by the way once again not a great idea yeah it's never a good yeah idea. why just if you can get rid of it get rid of the creature because they did get rid they do kill it right well yeah yeah like they actually kill it yeah yeah someone does yes that's right i won't say who but yeah someone yeah. kills it so then you know it can be gotten rid of you could have done it then yeah why are you holding it in a yeah it's a big it? yeah is it like a thing you're gonna brag about hey guys we got a you could almost one of the most it, fearsome mythical creatures are li- like living in a cave like over there. It almost feels like you're trying to do a yin yang thing, where yang thing, where you know, okay, you got the evil creature that's yeah. there, and it's yeah. it's surrounded by the good creature, so mm-hmm. you got the the balance. So now, oh, you've gotten rid of the evil creature. Does that mean the good creature also now goes away, or is it like no, things are all just good now? Really, they're all good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How about if it's uh, servants? Are those all dead? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, anyway, souls are real. Just, just let sure, me know, yeah. everybody. Yeah, for sure. How the hell does how, how, how do they get home afterwards? That's what I want to know. If they show anyone cooking, that's a, a walk with Yan kind of thing. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, it's, it's it's a shame because you like the more grounded things, and then it just becomes uh, on rails for the story at the end. There's some there's some beautiful imagery, but emotionally, mm, and you know, there's some setup for something Aquafina does, but you know she's going to do it. Yeah. Because you know you've yeah. seen a movie before. <laughs> And it's fine. I mean, I don't mind if They're fine. I don't mind if movies stoop to cliche, as long as you can deliver it in an emotional way. It's okay. I just like like her thing was like she can't commit to something. Mm-hmm. She can't commit to anything. Yeah. I'm like okay, so that's what she has to overcome. It's yeah. Like she commits to something. Yeah. But that's not really what she's. Or you could do the thing of she's such an outsider. Mm. She sees the obvious thing. You know, where they're all doing this these these elaborate plans, and she's just like, could you shoot it in the neck? And it's like, I don't know, you know, like smog, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen Lord of the Rings. Let's, I, let's try that. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I guess well, we could commit to that. What, what they should have done is like break away entirely from this action sequence and just go back like 15 years to like when she was younger and was like really involved with, you know, the Society for Creative Anachronism. You know, that's where she learned to shoot bows. It wasn't just like something that she was preternaturally good at, but something she actually practiced when she was younger. Mm-hmm. And just have like a little sequence of that. You know, just like make, have some fun with the idea of, you know, Renaissance fairs and, and things with Aquafina. That would be, that'd be sure. fun. And it'd be especially extra fun to do in the middle of a bloated, stupid CGI action yeah. sequence. I still know. don't think we've ruined uh, everything completely for this movie. <laughs> so, this well, movie we with... warned people. We, we had a 15 minutes. Yeah, this is about, yeah. we're now at the 15 minute mark. Okay. So we're back. There we go. We're if back. We're not going to spoil it anymore. DVD Babadi Boo. I will say one thing I did like about it okay. was uh, that uh, Shang-Chi and Katie, uh, and uh, this this is something we've discussed a couple of times with our friend uh, Nina Matsumoto, Third Dragon, yeah. is she likes when there are characters who are friends in movies. Yes. There isn't forced romantic yeah. interest. I... And in this case, they are pals. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though one of the grandmothers is like, when are you getting married? It's not happening. It's like, <laughs> yeah, they didn't go with that. Yeah, they didn't go with that. And I, and I like... Yeah, I just like the fact that they're friends, and I love their I love their conversation with their other friends, um, you know, who are like obviously more 
uh, steady in their lives, have, you know, have made some definite, um, what's the word here? Some definite decisions, have plans, or following like a life, yeah. life plan. Whereas Shang-Chi and, or Sean as he is at this point in the movie and, and Katie are both kind of free-floating, yeah. you know, impossible, but by the way, impossible characters because they're living in San Francisco and doing like menial jobs, which is impossible. Because no one could, no one could afford to live there in that Except situation. Except that Shang Chi really is probably rich. Yeah, and I guess Katie lives with her parents. So. Yeah, that's the thing. She lives yeah. in a house with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's conce- it's conce- it's conceivable that her parents bought that house a long time. Sure, ago. I think that's exactly the case. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we believe that that all works out fine. <laughs> Here's the question: How does Ant Man afford his damn house? That is the question. Well, Although he's a criminal, he's he's living outside of San Francisco, though, right? I'm not sure of his, his precise address. Like where his wife lives. Yeah. I think it's outside. Well, of, uh, Ant-Man 2, where he's in house arrest, isn't he like in San Francisco proper? I love that. I love that. That's the name of the movie. Ant-Man 2, house arrest. <laughs> it's time to ant party. Well, he makes a little, uh, you know, thing for the for his daughter and they go through a little thing. It's really sweet. That's fun. Yeah. It's really like, I like this guy. He's a nice guy. I like, I like this <laughs> Ant-Man guy. I'm all for him. Yeah. I didn't like Paul Rudd before this. But now I like him. <laughs> I didn't like him in countless movies I saw before. Here's one of the one things I will say, and again, I'm not uh, spoiling. Spoiler. Don't spoil Ant-Man. No. That I'm, movie's been out for seven years. I'm going to say um, uh, there's a character called Death Dealer. Didn't deal much death. In, uh, Shang- in, in Shang-Chi. In yeah. It's got the mask. It was like Death Dealer. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. Death Dealer was the taskmaster of... <laughs> yes. And I would like to see uh, Razor Fist... At some point, uh, team up with Taserface. I don't know how they'll do it, but I just like the, <laughs> you know, have them team up. I know Taserface technically dead, but uh, you know, in a what if story, do, mm-hmm. do something like that. Yeah, you're right. When uh, Death Dealer, if that's the character I think of, the one who's wearing like the mask. the mask, yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be like incredibly good. Yeah, part of the training for for Shang Chi, amazing assassin, unstoppable, unstoppable force. Oh, he's dead. The one thing you've got to give Death Dealer, though, yeah. is... I guess his name indicated that he would be dealt death. Oh, they didn't know that that was the case. Yeah, I think that was the confusion. And then it was in brackets, to me. <laughs> death Dealer to me. The one thing I guess you've got to go with yeah. is, he was training Shang-Chi from when he was a little boy. Yeah, yeah. And Shang-Chi is now a grown man. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's see, how old is uh, is the actor? The actor is, is 32. Okay, so... So, so Death Dealer is 32 or, or, the, or, or uh, Shang-Chi? Shang-Chi is. I don't know how old Death Dealer is, okay. but, but clearly for 20 years yeah. uh, he's been training him. So yes, yes. Death Dealer's an older dude now. Yeah. This is what he's about it. And Shang-Chi is now peak. For sure. But the thing is, is okay, sorry everyone, spoilers. Just ignore it. Just go away for a second. Uh, he doesn't get killed by, by Shang-Chi. No, no. He gets killed by one of those squid creatures floating around in the air. Right. But like, when he fights, he just he just dies like everyone else dies sure, sure. in just like a, a who cares way. Well, who's got uh, who's who's got a plan for fighting demons? Uh, but but uh, no, but he's supposed to be like all out cool and 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 a great fighter and stuff like that, and he just dies mm-hmm. in the in the most prosaic, boring way possible. In fact, basically, he's just laying on the ground dead. Well, anytime he's not fighting a child, he loses. <laughs> so he's not great. Okay. Fair so enough. anyway, that's it for the change. That's it for bro. no more. Uh, hope you like no it more. if you see it, and uh, also yeah. I've been enjoying What If, and there we go. Dave, I've only seen one episode. Uh, okay. Well, there's others. What if I didn't watch the rest of them? I did, however, watch Only Murders in a, an Apartment Building, or Only Murders in the Building. Okay. Where are you up to in that? I am as far as they've gone. 
I assume they're putting out more episodes, and they're yes. just doing it as a weekly thing, and I've caught yeah. up. I uh, really like it. Really yeah. good. Really good. Lots of fun. Yeah, it goes in some directions you don't expect. It's it, it's one of these where it's like, well, that's better than I thought it would be. Mm. Yeah. That's always good. I like the, I like shows that are like that. And to be quite honest with you, I watch a lot of murder shows, because Lisa loves murder, bo- to murder, loves murder books. She loves murder shows. Right. And so any murder shows that are on television... We watch them, unless they're in a foreign language, in which case she does not is interested because then she can't play solitaire and watch the shows at the same time. <laughs> and so we, but we watched, I mean, we watched a million of those shows. And to be honest, I think that they're okay. <laughs> I think many of them are very boring. I like them better if they are funny or have quirky characters in them, because at least that gives me something to watch. But so many of those shows, are, I mean, I, I understand the pattern now. I get it. I get it. I get it. So what's nice about this is it doesn't have a pattern. It doesn't follow a, a normal pattern. And I think everyone's doing good work. I think Selena Gomez is good in it. Yeah. Like I like her. I She's think, the more grounded character. I like her. I liked her a lot in that. Not supposed to talk about this movie, I guess, but the Woody Allen movie that whatever it's called, the New York, the New York one with uh, I don't know what it's called. Rainy Day in New York. Okay. Is that what it's called? The Rainy Day somewhere. Yeah. And it's hard now also to bring up Manhattan Murder Mystery. Manhattan Murder Mystery. Yeah, but that's basically. It feels like that's a big. Even the writing is kind of going. Yeah. It going feels like. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, you've seen this. You've seen that movie. You just you just picture at some point you'll see <laughs> yeah. you know him and Diane Keaton walking walking down the hall like what oh we're just minding our own business we're doing sure. our own thing over here. The difference is Manhattan Murder Mystery the the character of the film is in the characters where whereas in this Murders in the Building the building is a lot of the character of the show like the that apartment building has a lot of character so I like that and I do like the growth of the characters I like Steve Martin's character kind of kind of coming out of himself I'm hoping there's a resolution to a plot point in in the show at some point because I. You know, it's a really sad plot point in the show. Yeah. And I'm hoping that, that will be resolved. And But I like that he's kind of growing a bit. And I did like the cliffhanger for this week as well. Like, I thought that was really good. And that made me want to watch it on. Okay. And Lisa got really frustrated that there wasn't another episode for her to watch right away. So that's good. And I do like that. I mean, I am. I know that you like shows being dumped all at once on, onto. Sometimes. Some, some shows. Some, some I mean, I can't servers. see a show like if, uh, you know. Twin Peaks: The Return, you know, being dumped all at once—that would have been uh, ridiculous. That would have been really hard. To... Yeah, you couldn't absorb it all, and it's yeah, fun yeah. to go, oh, okay, and break was, things down. That's the thing, though, right? Like, I mean, those are the things that we loved as as when we were younger. That shows where, like Twin Peaks, the original Twin Peaks, or Watchmen, we've talked about before, like mm-hmm. things that came out weekly or monthly or whatever that we could stew over and brood and talk about and dissect and and you know and talk about with people, and that that's what made it fun, you know, like. And that was a case of the return. Like, oh man, I love my favorite memory. This is my favorite memory of the return. The final scene of the show. The show ends. Eve literally falls face forward from the chair that she's in and just kind of falls to the ground in a fetal position. Is like, no. It's kind of how I felt when I saw Fire Walk with Me. Yeah. Because I thought, oh my, well, finally we're going to see the resolution we of what happened. What's going on you here? You want a prequel, right? Yeah. Huh? No. <laughs> okay. And then you watched it. And the first time I saw it, I was just like, oh, this is... I mean, on a second viewing, I was like, okay, I get it. This show's great. This, like, this is so good. Like, such a great exploration of abuse and, and all that stuff. Yeah. But, come on. Come on. What's yeah. going on with Dale? <laughs> yeah, you want to hear a secret? Sure. All right, here's the secret you don't want to hear. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, go ahead. Yeah. You another secret? Yes! Yeah. Okay, here's a bit of the secret you want to hear. And some five things that you didn't know that you don't want, don't want to hear. Oh no, that's interesting. But I want no, I want another thing. <laughs> okay, well here's the answer. Here's who killed her. Mm-hmm. Oh okay. 
Do you want to know why? I, I assume because of... Uh, no, no. Yes. What? Well, who's that? Oh, that's a long story. Anyway. It's re- it really a, is there clever. There was an atomic bomb. <laughs> what? There was an atomic bomb? Well, I think we knew that. Yeah, no, it's a fascinating... Uh, it's a fa- I, just, I just loved Eve's reaction to it, though. Just her total disappointment that didn't answer all the questions that she had, you know. I said, I just said to her, you know what? No answer is, is satisfactory. And I mean, if the show, if the original show was based on the idea that they were never going to reveal who murdered Laura Palmer, you know, that was what they, neither yeah. Frost or, or Lynch wanted to reveal who, who killed her. So, you know, the fact that they did and were forced to do so, I mean, really spoiled it for Lynch. He basically left the show at that point, kind of gave up on it. But yeah, I think that, I mean, I've talked about, we've talked about it before, like the Lady and the Tiger and the fact that uh, the writer of that, Frank R. Stockton, wrote a sequel to it called The Discourager of Hesitancy, and everyone got very excited. But it's the same thing. It does not answer the question of Lady and Tiger. It, has, it doesn't answer it. It, just, it. it gives you a whole different puzzle to solve with no answer. And that's okay, because that's what it should... That's what, yeah. that's what Lynch wants to do. He wants you to think about what you saw. Yeah, some, some things, you know, like, okay, I love Knives Out. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. And what's it do? It wraps it up in a bow and you get it and you yeah. understand it. You can still watch it again. Yeah. You go, ah, I'm picking up more stuff. And mm-hmm. I can watch it another time. And I go, ah, I'm getting even more stuff and I'm really enjoying the performances. But yeah, yeah everything's basically solved yeah. and wrapped up. Yeah. And then there's other things. Mm-hmm. My, mm-hmm. my thing with uh, Murders in the Building, I would say, is the, the episode that was the most recent episode uh, had a guest star that was like, oh, that's a good guest star. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it didn't have the... Sur- well... I was going to say it didn't have the surreal elements of earlier, but I'm lying because it did. Mm-hmm. Actually, it did have the surreal elements. Yes, like, it did. There's a thing with uh, with Martin Short that he does like at his uh, child's house uh, that's just like, whoa, I didn't expect this at all. What's this about? And, you know, it's to the point where you could call it corny, you know, if it, unless unless you buy it. It was, a, it was a big risk. It was a big swing. Mm-hmm. I was like, hmm. That was great. Yeah. I had, um, here's, my, here's my plug of the week that, you know. How can I not? <laughs> uh, my wife is the co-creator of a TV show that's starting this uh, this week on FX. Exciting. FX on uh, Hulu uh, in the States, uh, Disney Plus uh, in uh, the UK. I'm not sure where else it's showing, but it's Why the Last Man, mm-hmm. which is it's based on her uh, her book that she did with Brian. Her award-winning comic book. It won the Eisner Award, won the Harvey Award. It's uh, it's done uh, good and good and good and good and good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah, it's it's out there and. Um, we got the first three episodes to watch, but we got them without uh, the titles, and we got them without some CGI that's in there. Oh, okay. There's things of like this will, and then there was instructions in it that went, it goes to this and this, and mm. this is where it broke to a, a guy. Yeah, there's no saying to you this, after this scene, you will see something great. Some but a like tank rolls down the street. There's no surprise to say there's a monkey in it. Uh, there's a <laughs> monkey in the uh, there's a monkey emoji now for if you do hashtag. Why the Last Man, which, oh, is, which is cute. That's fine. Um, but yeah, it's without the monkey. So because the monkey is CGI? Yeah, monkey is CGI. They never use a real monkey? Not that I know of. I don't think it's they It's always do. CGI. Yeah. They hmm. were originally going to use the monkey from Friends. And they always, when they, when they have monkeys in TV shows, they have an older monkey and a younger monkey. Yeah. And so uh, it used to be uh, the monkey from Friends was the younger monkey, and then there was an older monkey. And now this would be the older monkey. Hmm. But... Uh, yeah, they got to a thing of just like, should we just CGI it just mm-hmm. for so this monkey doesn't have to be on set and do yeah. all this stuff? Yeah. 
it's a bit of a different time and maybe there. So yeah, it's, it's, it's CGI. So we get like a rough thing of a monkey and you just see it without moving, like slide across the screen or jump <laughs> up on something. And we've had friends who have said, uh, can we, can we watch that? Yeah. yeah. And first of all, we shouldn't show them to yeah. friends, yeah. but also, no, you want to see the whole damn thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You want to see it with like, you know, the titles. Come yeah. On. Yeah. You want to see it with, with this con and that come on. And we thought it was going to be possibly streamed, but it's not. It's on TV, TV proper. In yeah, Canada. yeah, yeah. So people are going to watch it with commercials as well. FX has commercials? I think so. I think FX does have commercials. I remember like when I was watching. Because Legion had commercials? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, they have like these breaks that you're just like, oof. But hmm. there's something to commercials. You know, there's something to having that break of just like an action point of what? And then, you know, hey. If, yeah, if it's done right. If it's done right. If it's for done sure. well. Yeah. Twin Peaks, the original one, had commercials. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they're going to watch it as TV. Which is uh, which is interesting, also because you can't fast forward unless you you know record it or whatever. You're watching it at the pace that it is the pace. Yeah, and yeah. they're going to show three episodes in the first uh, night mm. to get you into Hooked the world. Into it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And into, into Do you know how many episode. episodes are going to be in the first season? I believe ten. Ten in total. I think, okay. I think I think ten in total. I can okay. double. Well, you don't have to double check. check that. You know what? We'll let it stand as ten. Okay. Or you're typing it in anyway. I- I am. He's so concerned that we know that. But exactly uh, please do watch it. Please do write about it. Uh, from what I've seen, it looks uh, great. Of course, I'm incredibly prejudiced. <laughs> I want well, you're a huge to... fan of the books. Yeah, and uh, I'm a big fan of uh, one of the actors that comes in later on in the series, and I have not seen anything with her in it mm. yet. But she's a local comedian and mm-hmm. actress who was uh, named Diana Bang, who was also in the interview. Seth Rogen and yeah. an actor who is not good anymore, um, and she was she was really good in that. And I've seen her do a lot of other stuff, and she's amazing. And from what I've seen in reviews, uh, when she comes on, like all the critics just completely light up and just go whoa. And so uh, it's uh, an interesting episode. It's an episode called Manhunt, uh, episode five that she shows up in. So, huh? So does it uh, man M A N N? Does it veer off of the uh, story from the comic very much? Um, the st- well, there's 60 episodes of the comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's 10 episodes a season. Mm-hmm. Hopefully there'll be more seasons. So th- I think the rough idea was they're going to cover like 10 issues generally in 10 episodes. Okay. Okay. Um, the general idea behind it remains the same, but they're going in different directions because of the world that we live in right now. Mm. So, uh, a lot of the, 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 the political aspects of things that were shocking in the comic, I would say, are not shocking anymore when you've had a January 6th, you know, insurrection attempt. Mm. You know, it's 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 odd because you've we've seen this a lot of stuff that's happened here in real life. And yeah. it's like, hey, there's a plague. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, there's this. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. We kind of were in a bit of a different perspective mm-hmm. than, uh, than the book was. It was a lot more fantasy back then. Also, the issues were different at the time. Um... Pia and Brian were supposed to start work. It's the it's almost the 20th anniversary of the first day of work on the book. Okay. Wow. Which was September 11th, 2001. Wow. That was going to be the first day that Pia was going to start working on the I book. I don't think she did much work that day. She did not. I remember it very, very mm-hmm. clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so a lot of things that were in the book then got taken out. Yeah. And redone because the time that they were living in was very different than it was the day before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now that we are 20 years uh, in the future, like once again, things are different. You got to write the show for the time that you're in. Yeah. Good. Yeah. But uh, everyone in it is amazing. I think like especially 
355 is going to just blow people away. Mm. Like, I think she's going to be a Halloween costume. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she's, it's, it's very exciting. We saw the titles for the first time today. They're up on YouTube. And uh, maybe we could put those on uh, the website if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, uh, I'll put, and yeah, I'll put the trailer as well. It all makes it feel real. Yeah, and that's nice thing. The trailer had like uh, 3.7 million people watch it, which is pretty amazing. Or you watched it 3.7 million times. Yeah, sure. I'm just, uh, I got I got that kind of time. <laughs> <laughs> We've been, I've been, I've, I mean, listen, my part of it has just been support. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I used to run the pages uh, that Pia drew out to the FedEx okay. at the very fucking last second. Yeah. And, you know, and just like had to get them downtown, had to get them to the, to the FedEx and fill out everything and super speed and get them out. And just being supportive while she was putting it together, which was very, very hard work, emotionally draining and physically mm-hmm. draining, especially near the end. Yeah, um, oh, I remember. Of, yeah, it's the kind of book that, uh, you know, when you, when you look at a monthly comic, you think of something like, you know, the, the Jack Kirby doing Fantastic Four. But mm-hmm. if you look at Fantastic Four comics that Jack Kirby did, as much as they're respected, uh, there's next to no backgrounds. And, you know, if something is a, a gun, it's a made-em-up gun. Mm-hmm. You just did it. And and Pia had to do, like, locations that were accurate to the place in the world they were. The guns had to be accurate. The costumes had to be accurate. Everything mm-hmm. had to be right. And then she had to, you know, she had to get, like, all the acting correct. The emotions all right. And she just did so much work on it. It was so, so, so hard. So that this has come now to this. And I'm glad that the book was so successful. That's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And well-deserved. But, like, I'm, I'm... And then we had such a runaround with this <laughs> for, like, a little over a decade. That's just, like... It's just so nice to actually have it. Oof. It's out there. And now, go. See see what people think. <laughs> you know? And if they don't like it, there's the book. The book exists. <laughs> and that's okay. The book is great. Yeah. The book is great, actually. I remember... Being with Pia, I'm sure, uh, once again, we've talked about everything on the show, so I always go, oh, I've probably talked about this before, but I remember being with Pia. By the way, if anyone, uh, we should do a thing where, like, if you say, we've talked about this before on the show, that yeah. people have to eat a, a Sour Patch candy or something. Sure, take a drink. Just take a drink. Sure. Uh, we do less uh, power drinking than we used to on the show. <laughs> so, I was with Pia at a comic convention down in San Francisco. This was WonderCon in 2008. All right, yeah. And I was talking to this. I was talking to this guy. I was. I was going to buy his his book from him. He had a graphic novel. He's sort of new. He was being published by Oni or one of those kind of companies like that. And we were talking. And then Pia walked up, kind of like, "Hey, how's it going?" To me. And then he looked at Pia and he goes, and his whole face changed <laughs> in front of me. Like I've never seen it before in my life. Like believe me, his face didn't change like this when I walked up. But his whole face changed, and he's like, "Are you Pia Guerra?" She's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "I love your work." so much and it's just like it's like wow that's really that's amazing to see just the how much yeah. just like the whole change in like his whole yeah. stature and face and everything just lit up it's amazed yeah it's the kind of book that really got really got people's to people skin. Yeah. i i mean the only other person i know that i've seen similar things is uh is uh, gail simone mm. when people meet gail she also is very distinctive looking yeah so you know it's gail and immediately it's like seeing conan <laughs> o'brien you're like that's him. There's no one else that could be. But yeah, when people see uh, Gail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Blown yeah. away. Yeah, no, it's uh, quite something to see. Uh, and I mean, you know, like Mary, she loves that. She loves Why the Last Man. She's read it many, many, many times. It's uh, in constant disappearing from the shelves in, in, in my 
my off my library shelves because she just loves it so much. And, uh, I still have to read it. And, and yeah, that's, that's you know, for you it has a different meaning. Yeah. You know, I mean, you obviously. But she hasn't read my work for the most part either. Yeah, because it's hard because yeah. because it's a part of the person that's not something that you you share a different part of her life. Yeah. You know that you know what I mean. And you and your experience of why is from the outside, not from the inside, like it is for everyone who's read it. Yours is like, oh, what a massive amount of work was for her. What a torment it was for her at times to get through this huge. Yeah, I know things task. about the thing too that yeah. was going to be, yeah, and then what got thrown out and who's yeah, this? yeah, yeah, yeah. What this? Who? I know like things like. You know, I see the characters and go like, oh, well, that character is based on my sister-in-law. Mm. Oh, that character is my landlady. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at one point, like, uh, he was really worried that the landlady would find out this character was based on her. Because it's <laughs> so her. She draws people so right. Huh, huh. That's like, yeah. 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 There's all these inside things that I see. Like something like um, Ampersand the monkey is, uh, is based on our cat, Charlie, mm. who is the same cat that uh is uh is in sparks yeah, yeah yeah so so he's he's made two comic <laughs> you know uh books yes once in disguise mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's well, great. and once as a monkey maybe it was a cat inside the, that's the monkey as well yeah no it's a character uh... you've colored many times <laughs> <laughs> no one of course i was so lucky a i didn't ha- i didn't have your ringside seat i had a somewhat of a ringside seat but i also you know got Oh, Dave, you're here. Here, here's this month's <laughs> why. You take it and read it, you know, and be like, ah, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's so special, you know. So, yeah, it's, uh, it was something to experience in that kind of su- slightly their way, you know. I could see it. I could look on the drawing board. I could look at PS drawing board, especially when the drawing board was still at the apartment. Yeah. I look at it there and go, oh, let's see. What's happening? Then you go online. Spoilers. <laughs> Dave's hot spoilers. <laughs> yes, that's right. As if I'd know how to do that. Yeah, and then you're like, uh, let's go down the hallway and uh, talk to Johnny Christmas. Ah, oh, hot Margaret Atwood's boy. <laughs> yeah, that was later. That was later. Yeah. yeah. When you moved, moved, moved places. Because originally the drawing table was in the apartment. I think that was part of the incentive to have an office was to separate that looming beast from, from your lives. There's, that's one thing I'd like to put up sometime is like, you don't want to put up a plaque, but there should be something about that uh, that building. Yeah. You know, and how much stuff got made in that building. Yeah, you for know, sure. A lot of things. Mm-hmm. You know, Margaret Atwood comic books. I mean, yeah. Why the Last Man was made there. Yeah. Like all this, all this mm-hmm. other, Robin Bougie stuff. Just yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You know, just like James all Lloyd, the, all the, all all the Futurama stuff was all drawn there. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All this amazing art was created mm-hmm. in this building. It just mm-hmm. feels like there should be a little bit of a tribute to... Well, here's my advice. So put it on the sidewalk because that building ain't going to be there in five years. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. That's the, that's the truth, unfortunately. It's Vancouver. We eat our own. Though I was hearing that like 20 years ago as well. It's like, mm. this was, eh, three years from now, it's going to be gone. Hmm? <laughs> oh. Maybe, unless the people Maybe. involved, you know, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> unless there's something about this space that we don't know. Yeah, yeah. That might be the case. And like, you don't want to ask too many questions. Nope. Maybe if we're lucky, it's owned by the mafia, and no one wants to deal with it. Yeah, or someone, or someone uh, better organized. I don't find organized crime that organized. But there, there you are. Yeah. I mean, the walls, sweet God, people could just gnaw through them with their teeth, and they did scratch through them at one point. There was that was a way a one guy broke in. It was just like scratching with his hand through the wall. Yeah, yeah. He would just go through the walls. Like okay. I guess if you just pun- man. find the right spot and punch through the. Yeah, the but he wasn't even plaster. punching. That was the thing. He did it like 
he did it like scratchy, huh? With just like little, I know some sort of claws or like just like cutting through it. Yeah, yeah. Because if he punched, he'd go like, "Hey, what's its own?" Oh, instead, but he did like, it really quietly. It sounded like oh. you know something skittering. What is that sound? <laughs> and then yeah, uh, Gene, I think like you know was like, "What's that?" Huh? And then uh, he ran. Gene was the manager, the, the uh, building manager, building manager. Yeah, yeah. the guy in uh, charge of everything, keeping the bees on the roof, <laughs> keeping his eyes on the prize. <laughs> I always thought like every security camera that was in that place was bullshit. Like anytime anything actually happened, like how about the security cameras? Yeah, they were off that night. Huh? Why? Because <laughs> they don't exist and they're not real, and they're just like some lamp covers. Yeah, that makes sense. My father-in-law did that at the farm. Yeah. He put up this. He put up this thing that looked like a camera, and even had a light on it that was uh, sure. motion activated. Yeah. But there was no camera there. Yeah, of course. It's sort of, sort of strange. Like, it was a lot of trouble to go to to not even have a camera up there. Yeah, just have a camera. Yeah. You know what's less trouble? Get a camera. You know <laughs> I guess that would have expensive? involved having the wiring and stuff coming down to I it. I think, yes. Foodie do, I I didn't want to involve him in that. Uh, Dave? Yes. Uh, I, I, it's, there's never an easy transition uh, to this. <laughs> okay. But, uh, you know, we have talked in, in this episode about mm-hmm. uh, Tom Waits and his role in Dracula. Yes. Which loosely... Uh, it ties into the whole vampire culture, which okay. then, mm-hmm. you know, uh, ties into um, uh, the vampire television culture. Yep. Uh, and on many shows, you have been discussing uh, what's been going on in an old series called Dark Shadows on Tubi. Yes. And, uh, and sometimes, some weeks you got some, some weeks you don't have something. Yes. Well, to be honest with you, this week I did have something, but then I almost didn't have it because I forgot my notes at home. But... I was sitting at work and I did the classic... Oh, oh, that Dave. <laughs> I was sitting having my lunch and I suddenly realized, oh, I forgot my book. But luckily for me, I have a loving daughter at home and she took pictures of and the one notebook. one daughter as well. <laughs> my other daughter gets home later. Um, but my, my other daughter came home and was kind enough to take pictures of the notebook and send them to me. Of the movie The Notebook. Yes, that's right. So we're going to read about Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams. Excellent. And their wonderful relationship when they turn into James Garner. <laughs> and I can't remember the actress's then, name now. Uh, uh, yeah, and then the Rockford Files theme starts playing. Damn it. What's her name? Don Cassavetti's wife, Gina Rowlands. There you go. Oh, man. Bad. Anyhow, everyone, so let's let us go back into the past, into 1968. Woo! Or maybe 69. Summer of Love. Summertime. No, Summer of Love is 67. Was it? 68, Summer of Hate. Oh, that's not great. <laughs> you said it. So, everyone, if, if you remember, we had uh, a little bit of action last week when Chris, Chris Jennings, turned into a werewolf. <laughs> he turned into a werewolf. and uh, Who are we to judge? Tried to attack, attacked Carolyn, attacked a bunch of different people, and then ended up uh, shot by Barnabas and uh, lay, laying kind of unconscious. And then he uh, was, he woke up. Went back to his place, and then he was uh, helped by Amy. Amy burned his shirt, his bloody shirt, which had a, a huge shotgun mark in it, and then had some blood on it. And uh, Amy was told by Beth, Beth the ghost, to burn the shirt, and so she did. And then while she was talking to Chris, was called away by Beth, oh. leaving Chris in a, with a bit of a mystery. In an episode called Shirt Happens. So we start with episode 674, everyone. This is episode 674. Barnabas and Julia are talking in at uh, Collinwood, and they put two and two together <laughs> and get werewolf. 
Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. They realize that Chris, who said he was home but wasn't home, there was a mess, a shambles in his, in his cottage. Why did this happen? Well, Barnabas starts to figure out that he probably is a werewolf. And uh, now, in Dark Shadows, both werewolves and vampires can be killed by a silver bullet. As established in the 1795 part of the... Uh, that, uh, if we remember that uh, whatever his name was, Jeremiah or Jebediah Collins was going to shoot Barnabas with a silver bullet. Now, was this because uh, silver was considered pure? I guess so. Okay. Or maybe just the expense of it was too much. So poor people were constantly being killed by werewolves, whereas rich people could battle them off with their silver bullets. Oh, okay. All right. Now, I don't really know why the silver bullet. And why not gold, right? Mm-hmm. Well, too soft. But I guess the purity of the silver and maybe like the silver, like the silver moon association with the moon and stuff like that. Yeah, I think if you had a, have a gold bullet, it might just smash in the gun. That's not safe. Because <laughs> it's very soft metal. Silver. No, gold. Oh, gold, yeah. But silver is too. Is it? it but it's not soft as gold. No, probably not. I don't, I don't know. I, you know what? I've never felt... Uh, I've held gold in my hand. How many, how many times have you been shot? And by what substance? <laughs> salt? I've been shot by salt. Have you been shot by salt? Yeah, just had a little bit in my leg. Someone shot you with a shot. Yeah, where it burns bog, and there was a guy uh, shooting a shotgun with uh, salt in it. He had a salt, salt, salt. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, my uncle used to tell me stories of like playing on the farms around in Burnaby and, and being shot at by people with salt guns. Yeah. Like, so, and I just think, wow, that was a different time. It was. Different time. So now they have this theory, but they have to test the hypothesis. So uh, Chris, meanwhile, who found his shirt burned. And seemed very upset about it. Like, too upset about a shirt being burned. Like, dude, there was a hole in your shirt caused by a shotgun <laughs> with blood. Like, yeah. it's good that it was burned. But yeah. no, he seems to feel like Amy burn- burning of it was, like, outrageous. It's my lucky shirt. It's weird. Yeah, it's a lucky shirt. So Chris tries to get Amy to tell him. Basically, he wants to know why she burned the shirt. But what he's trying to do is, in a very roundabout way, is, do you know I'm, I'm a werewolf? Is that why you burned the shirt? <laughs> But Amy, uh, Amy doesn't really give him anything. She doesn't really give him anything. So I have to go to the next page. Sure. This is actually easier, except for having to zoom in and out. Um, at that moment, Carolyn enters with her friend. We've never seen this friend before. Her friend named Donna Friedlander. Okay. A fresh-faced young woman. A fresh-faced Friedlander. Who, I got to say, immediately, no questions asked, has the old good old hots for Chris. Mm. She sees him and she's just like, a boing, 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 boing. It actually has the sound effect. A boing, 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 boing. And, uh, so she's a witch. We learned that she's studying interior design. Okay. And, um, but what's worse is that Chris is stunned. Maybe too stunned, I think. This actor is having some overacting problems in this episode. Uh, he's completely stunned to see the familiar pentagram on Carolyn's face, which he's seen before, which of course indicates she is a future victim of the werewolf. Oh, no. Uh, but then he goes and awkwardly stands in the corner of the, of the house. It's like, like turns away from them and just goes and stands in the corner. Like he's been put, put in, in Coventry. Like he's an like, R.E.M. Yeah. song. He goes and stands. That's right. And then he, like, there's a window there, which I guess he could say, I'm looking out the window, but it's really weird. Like, why are you, did you walk over there, sir? But Donna tells Carolyn, they go leave the room. And then Donna tells Carolyn that Chris is her type. because she's certainly my type. Oh. Broody. Or moody. I think she said moody, actually, not broody. But he's both. He's moody and broody. Then Barnabas goes, blood type. And he's like, you're not a vampire anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. I'm more I like just, a grandpa. 
Grandpa Munster? Who is Dracula? <laughs> All right, get back it up, Barnabas. Uh, so Amy tells Chris that she can sometimes hear Chris, not literally hear him, but she sometimes sense hears him, like she can feel him crying. Okay. And he's like, well, why would I cry? And she goes, I don't know, but you're very sad. And she says, I, it's not all the time, but sometimes I feel that you're crying. Okay. And what she means is when he's trapped in the werewolf, he is crying because he's oh. sad as the werewolf. Well, that's, that's, that's sorry to hear. Yeah, it is. Uh, later on, Donna says, tells everyone she has to, has to leave. But Barnabas tries to rope Chris and by, and by roping Chris and also rope Don, Donna into an impromptu dinner party, which everyone's into, but Chris... Says, oh no, I can't, I can't do that. Because of course he's, he just can't say, later I gotta turn into a werewolf for a bit. Because look, <laughs> he's like, he, has to, he gives this complete cock and bull story that he's gotta go in a banger to meet some guy uh, about something, you know, very vague. It's a very vague, obviously a lying story. But then Donna's like, well, I'm going to banger. <laughs> Sounds terrible, everyone. Bangor? I'm going to Bangor. And uh, ev- everyone's like, well, Chris, why don't you give Donna a ride? You're going to banger. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> oh, dear. This episode. And it just turns into a sex farce. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Some really nice jazz music starts to play in. Uh-oh. Banger? Uh, no, just dinner. <laughs> banger? <laughs> banger? No, rectum. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So Donna basically invites herself along for a drive with Chris. And so... Uh, they go outside, and then Chris has to do some other excuse. He's like, "Oh my god, I've got a terrible headache. I got this killer headache that just sort of started. I can't it's go into banger. I can't go into <laughs> I can't go into banger now. So I'm gonna give you. I can't banger. I've got a headache. That's right. <laughs> no sex, please. We're werewolves. And so then, also, I've been spayed. He basically he he give, he gives her his car keys and says, "Drive my car into banger." and park it at the bus station, put the keys into the seat, and I'll pick it up later. Sure. And so so then he goes off to his, his house. Meanwhile, Barnabas and Julia, mm-hmm. well, mostly Julia, are concerned for Donna. Because she was like, didn't we just like send Donna off with a werewolf? <laughs> What's going on with us? And Barnabas is like, he's like, if I know anything about Chris, he's just given her some ridiculous excuse right now to not drive her into banger. <laughs> and... <laughs> I can't wait till we get past this sequence. <laughs> and so I just hope this episode ends with the yakety sax <laughs> And so so they convince themselves that Donna's gonna be okay. She's gonna be sure. alright. So back at the cottage, Chris is obviously starting to feel the effects of the moon. And he his he says that he says later in the in, in this series that he can feel the effect starting as soon as the sun hits the horizon. Okay. He can start feel like that he's going to change that that's the inevitable inevitable thing that's going to happen and uh so he's starting to feel the effects of this and then donna shows up at the door knock on the door and he's like oh who is it and he goes over to the door and she's and she's there and she's like well i just couldn't take your car i'm I'm gonna give you your keys back and and then he's like okay fine but you gotta go and she's like well why why do i have to go i'm telling you get the hell out of here she's like why what's why and he goes because i'm telling you gotta leave for whatever reason, he doesn't say, because I'm a werewolf. Right. And I'm going to kill you if you don't and, go. And if he did, she'd go like, and I'm liking what I see. <laughs> That's right. You are really moody. And uh, so she refuses to understand what he's trying to tell her, which is to get the hell out of here. And uh, so she doesn't leave. And so he changes before her eyes. Then she leaves. With some shrieking, she runs out. And she runs off into the woods, pursued by the werewolf. Um, meanwhile, Barnabas and Julia arrive at the messy 
cottage. But of course, there's no Chris there because he's off pursuing Donna. And then we cut to Donna in the woods and she's lying on the ground, dead. And her clothes, oh. are, torn, her clothes are torn and she's oh. covered in blood. Oh, it's less funny now. Yeah. So what happens is he didn't bang her. So then in the morning, <laughs> in the morning, <laughs> the sheriff is at Collinwood talking to Carolyn. The body of Donna has been found and he's trying to figure out like, you know, when did you meet Donna? Blah, blah, blah. He's asking some questions. Meanwhile, Chris returns to the cottage, uh, you know, in his usual mess and begins to clean up. He finds Donna's purse laying on the floor and puts it on the table. And then Carolyn arrives to tell Chris that the news that Donna's dead. Of course, he knows what's happened to Donna. And that makes him feel even worse. Well, he, he knew that he, he can't remember what's happened when, when he's turning into a werewolf. He forgets. He has amnesia be- even before he changes, so he right. didn't remember that Donna he's, was he's there. A, he's an unaware wolf. He's a <laughs> he certainly is unaware of what what time of the day it is or yeah. what time. You know, he's always like, "It's five thirty. I got to get out of here." Um, so, so yeah, when he finds the purse, then he realizes that Donna was there when he changed, and so he knows that something bad happened. And so, uh, Carolyn is shortly followed by the sheriff. He shows up, and of course, he's kind of like, "What are you doing here?" To Carolyn, and she's like, "Oh, I came to tell." Chris, the news, is there something wrong with that? And he says, no, there's no law against it, but it is kind of suspicious that you would immediately hightail it here to tell Chris. But anyway, so uh, Carolyn leaves, and then the, sh- the sheriff starts to to uh, talk to, to Chris, and Chris is standing, so the sheriff's back is to the table, and Chris is standing looking at him, and then he notices, oh, there's a Donna's purse on the table. Uh-oh. So he goes over, and he picks up a newspaper, and he just sort of lays it over the purse on the sure. table. Now, it's not hidden. No, he didn't unfold it into a full paper. He just like put half, like a half-folded newspaper over a purse. So if someone turned around, where, where'd the purse go? Oh, there's a big oh paper. my gosh, there's big a newspaper. There must be, <laughs> must be the funnies in there. Yeah, yeah. It's more covered for us as the audience than it is for the sheriff. That's really okay. the problem. So uh, the sheriff, of course, uh, is very unimpressed by Chris's lame story and sketchy behavior. He insists that Chris accompany him to the police station, and they're going to search. They're going to search his cottage when 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 they uh, when they. Uh, come back to you know they're going to search about it so now carolyn learns this and she's very upset she you know starts talking to a lawyer and stuff uh but barnabas and julia seem less upset about it hmm. so they they hightail it they go out and uh and chris can do that because he's got a tail <laughs> uh so you know as carolyn uh, rallies all the all the lawyers in the colin in the collinwood's uh, state's uh employ barnabas and julia go and search chris's cottage so julia who no one notices it. No one notices. She just picks up the newspaper to, to look at the paper. <laughs> of course she does. She wants to check out the boxing scores. Sure, sure, sure. And see if her horse came in. Yep. And, uh, oh, there's Donna's purse under it. Oh, that's strange. Gee, that's weird. This gigantic uh, pyramid uh, newspaper. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, uh, but Barnabas is unwilling to turn it over to the police, which Julia is like, well, we've got to, because Chris, as a werewolf, has killed someone. And Barnabas is like, it's not his fault. He didn't choose to be a werewolf. It's not his fault that he can't control what's happening to him. No. He is not the murderer. The werewolf was the murderer. If we can stop that from happening to him, then we, if we can control what happens, then, this, then he, people will be safe from him. And so That'd be funny to have the werewolf on trial. <laughs> so we can only try him during this period of time. Yeah, that's right. What he's, the werewolf. Yeah, yeah. Arr! How do you plead? Arr! Guilty or not guilty? That's what they all say. <laughs> 
How was the court case, sir? Rough. At the station, Chris uh, is is so, you know, he's going to transform any minute. And he's so worried about this upcoming transformation, he decides that he's just going to tell the truth. He's going to tell the sheriff everything. Okay. Because he might as well tell the truth, because otherwise, how are they going to explain the fact that there's a furry monster in, a, in the cell? So Might be a Sesame Street monster. Uh, but at the, you know, when he calls for the sheriff, the sheriff is on the phone. And when the sheriff comes in, he says, uh, Barnabas has said that you were with him last night, that you got really drunk. Got a little worse for the little worse for wear, and that's why you couldn't remember. If, you know, that's why he had some trouble remembering last sure. night. And so, you know, but he says now, if Barnabas uh, Collins says you were with him, that's that's as good as gold. Why? Because he's Barnabas. He's part of the Collins family. That's they're, okay. They're the they're the uh, family, right? They're the so town. was Barnabas the one who was saying he can't be blamed for murder if he was a werewolf. Mm-hmm. So basically, because because he's laying the tracks for his own case. Going yeah, of like, course. Yeah, he used to be a vampire. But hey, man, that was vampire days. Yeah. I am not a vampire anymore. I'm a totally different guy. Yeah, yeah. Look at me, look at the sun. But let's be fair. He was a vampire who was cursed to be a vampire. Yeah. He didn't choose to be a vampire. He didn't go uh, t- choose this door. You can have eternal life and murder people. He didn't choose that. Though he was a bit of a sadist. He did. A, he did enjoy a kill. If I'm as a, as a vampire. As a vampire, yeah. But not as a not as a normal person. It's it's do- it's a dodgy. Remember, room. like. He, no one else helped Ben in his life. Like Barnabas taught him to read. Like wanted to improve his life. These are the times where I'm missing uh, old uh, chum of mine, Battenlash, who's a cartoonist who's great. He's sadly no longer with us. Okay. Uh, but him and his wife uh, Jackie Estrada yeah. did a book called Supernatural Law, uh, where they would uh, have lawyers adjudicate defend, on these. Yeah. yeah, on these kind of things. Well, they would. Yeah, they yeah. would. Uh, they would defend uh, monsters mm-hmm. and lay out cases like this. Like, well, he was a van- he was clearly a werewolf at the time. Yeah, this is exactly the kind of uh, case they would try. Well, we could go to the undead people's court and see what they say about this. <laughs> but I don't know. So, so Barnabas has provided him with an alibi. So Chris is let out. So he's not going to transform in the jail. When he arrives back at the cottage, Barnabas is waiting for him, strangely in the dark, which is kind of weird. Sure. Chris turns on the light. Oh, there's our Barnabas sitting there. That's right. I suppose you're wondering why I brought you here. This is my house. Oh, that's right. Um, so he tells Chris that he knows he's a werewolf and that he is thus innocent of murder because he can't control what the werewolf does. That's not... And then he takes Chris to the Collins family mausoleum mm-hmm. and shows him the secret room and uh, you know, basically locks him in there. It doesn't show him how to open the door. Just locks him in there so, risk cannot... so, sorry, so that Chris cannot be at risk to, it will not be at risk to other people. The werewolf will not be able to escape this cell. Let me ask uh, anyone who's out there who's a fan of horror movies, mm-hmm. a lot of werewolves have tried this. Yeah. Put themselves in a cage, mm-hmm. lock them up. Yep. Has it ever worked? Yeah. I don't That's think it's it. ever worked. It's all those bust out. Yeah. And uh, trouble afoot. So um, now, sorry, I'm just having a little technical trouble here as I try to look at my phone. Let me ask you this. If you were... Ask uh, me away. You're a werewolf. I'm a okay. werewolf. And you're going to turn into a werewolf at the full moon. Yeah. Happens three nights of the month. Three nights of the month, yeah. Okay. What if yeah. you get in a plane and just keep flying <laughs> ahead of like the moon like yeah. it being nighttime? Yeah. Would you Would you just skip it? Be no, like you wouldn't. Skip in your period? Oh, we see if you did, did it for three days. Yeah. And you're just flying. Yeah. And you just keep flying. Yeah, and you never there would be no. You point. would not experience a full moon. Yeah, would your would your werewolf inside go a little bananas, or what would happen? Yeah, just curious. No, I don't think so. I don't think it's that's a way to get around it. Yeah, I mean it's okay. a super expensive way. 
and probably not very realistic because I think eventually the sun would catch, the moon would catch up to you. You wouldn't be able to outrun uh, nighttime, hmm. okay. even in a plane, but uh, unless it was like a supersonic jet, I guess. But, you know, the amount of jet fuel you'd burn. Okay, counter question. Okay, counter question. You're a werewolf. I'm Full a werewolf. moon, all this business. Yep. You fly up in a, uh, a, a space shuttle type thing. Okay. You're in orbit. Yeah. It's always moon time. Oh my God, that's it. So are you just constantly... Yeah. Keep, does your werewolf get tired? Does it get winded? Is it like, I can't take it three no. days in a row? Uh, I, just I can still rest. Okay. You can? Yeah. Like, you ever does, see a werewolf rest? Well, no, because normally werewolves have like a brief time where they can be werewolves. Yeah. But this werewolf is like werewolf all the time. He's eventually just going to be like, ah, oh, I can just relax. Yeah, read the newspaper, put, okay. put in my slippers. All right. His slippers are human feet. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so Chris tells Barnabas his story. And this is interesting to me because he wasn't bitten by a werewolf. He went to school. He was studying to be an architect. That's how you do become a werewolf. This is a, right. this is a common cause. In exactly. Banger. In Banger. Uh, but when he was 21, he suddenly started to turn into a werewolf. So it's like a family curse, I guess. So it's not something that you... It's not something that you're cursed with. It just when he was 21, he just suddenly found himself mysteriously changing, and at first he didn't know what was happening. Right. He would just like getting hair on your body you don't expect. Well, yeah, because if he would he would like black out. He'd wake up the next day and like there'd be a murder maybe or some kind of sure. damage has happened. His clothes would be wrecked. His, the rooms would be destroyed. He had no idea what was going on. It wasn't until it was like puberty. Yeah. It wasn't until one time when he was changing and he looked at him. He happened to see himself and see that he was turning like growing fur mm. that he realized what it was what was happening to him and that was you know i think the only i think the only thing that would you know the only thing you could say about someone who's a werewolf is uh why don't you kill yourself and then that would save other people i don't think he can though but i feel like yeah i feel like the werewolf part of you wouldn't allow that to happen and even yourself i mean it's it's hard you know it's hard to kill yourself let's face it even someone who's is incredibly depressed and you know, dreams of killing, ending their suffering by suicide. It still takes them a long time to get to that point and get up the. I think you've got a mystical, the desperation. Uh, yeah, there's a mystical thing here. It's it's similar to the uh, Hulk problem in Avengers, where um, Bruce Banner says, you know, at one point he put a gun in his mouth and mm-hmm. uh, and the Hulk spit out a bullet. Okay. And it was just like, well, he's not going to let him do it. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, there's part of him that's a werewolf that's not going to let him do it. So if you're going to, I'm not going to say what movie it is. Uh, but it's one of those things where, like, you have to get yourself into a situation where someone's going to shoot you and uh, take care of the problem, and then Blue Moon plays, and you go, "That was a good movie." <laughs> Why don't you want to see what movie that was? That movie's from forty years ago. Yeah, but More I, than I don't want to. I don't want to say much about that beyond that. Or 20, 20 years ago, I guess. No, longer than that. Much longer than that. Oh, you know, forty years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's a good movie. Wait a second. How old am I? Oh my God! What happened? <laughs> Give me a mirror. No, you don't want the mirror. Give me a mirror. What? <laughs> oh my god. I'm old. 50s. <laughs> so um as they're talking, Chris mm-hmm. begins to transform into a werewolf. So Barnabas guy. Barnabas locks him in. Okay. And uh he seems deeply affected by Chris's story. Hmm. Well, you know the old days with him. Mm-hmm. For sure. So then, just changing pictures here. Do some pinching of fingers. Oh, Mary, you top the... Meanwhile, back at Collingwood. Oh, the children. <laughs> the children. Won't somebody think of the children. The children are teasing Mrs. Johnson by questioning her about... Questioning her 
uh, it's the truth of her seeing the ghost of Quentin Collins at, at uh, Chris's cottage when she was cleaning. But Mrs. Johnson just gets all upset and, and feels that the children, she knows the children are, are, uh, are like, you know, taunting her about this. And she feels like they've changed and that they're evil, but no one will believe her. <laughs> Mrs. J tells Barnabas about seeing the ghost of Quentin. And he is most curious about the children's odd behavior. He asks her a lot of questions about that. Meanwhile, David and Amy go to the hidden room in the West Wing where they find Quentin waiting for them. The ghost is standing there. He doesn't say anything, of course. But Amy... He doesn't say boo. He doesn't say boo to a goose. He doesn't say, <laughs> he doesn't say boo to a ghost. <laughs> oh, even better. <laughs> so Amy is told to go and wait downstairs. She's not going to be part of this conversation. No, no it's, it's not like... So then, of course, David talks to... Sorry, Quentin talks to David through the gramophone. So it plays his music. Right, and talks to your grandma. <laughs> the gramophone? <laughs> the gramophone. Cracks all your, cracks all your spelling. Hello. Uh, meanwhile, downstairs, Barnabas tries to grill Amy about Quentin's ghost very ineffectively because she's not, not very forthcoming. Meanwhile, Quentin silently, silently talks with David. He causes the top of the roll-up desk to open, and David goes over and it reveals a bottle of what David calls... Strychnine. Hmm. A bottle of strychnine? Yeah, which is not as dangerous as strychnine. No, it's right. It's one E. One E is better. Yeah. It's one letter That's, better. Make sure you get the other kind yeah. if you're using it in cooking. <laughs> a shocked David refuses to administer it to Chris. So he's told by Quentin he has to give this to Chris Jennings. And he refuses it. He just leaves it there. He's no. And he walks out. In the morning, Barnabas returns to the mausoleum. He goes inside the secret room and finds the coffin all smashed up. But Chris is there and did not escape. Uh, what? And I like the fact that he's talking about the moon being in its cycle of fullness. That's when mm. he changes, when the moon is in its cycle of fullness. A term I've never heard before, but I like it. Uh, Barnabas wants to help Chris. Uh, Julia is less on board with this idea, but she agrees to help because, of course, she can't say no to Barnabas. Uh, she has planned a series of tests to analyze Chris's blood chemistry, she says. Uh, after Barnabas and Julia leave Chris's cottage, David arrives. He's dropped by, dropped by casually to check. What the heck? That's kind of rude, to just to drop by like that and call him first, but okay. He seems happy that Chris is okay. He's like, oh, you're, you're okay, everything's good. Oh, that's good, I'm glad to see that. And Chris is like, why? Why would you uh, think that I wouldn't be okay? He's like, oh, no reason. No ghost showed me a bottle of strychnine. Everything's fine. Um, David establishes that Chris has been offered a job at Collinwood through Carolyn's influence. So he's going to be like a groundskeeper or something like that. And Chris offers David a pop, or as it's called in the show, a soda. And uh, they leave the front room to go and get this uh, pop. No product placement on this show. Hmm. After they're gone, the door of the cottage opens by itself. Okay. And a, mis- a mysterious force takes the top off a crystal decanter of, of alcohol. And then it pours empties the contents of a bottle of strychnine into oh, the... Oh, dear. David leaves the cottage and returns to Collinwood. Everything's fine, he says to himself. He lies to Amy about where he was and seems angry with her and very short, and he marches upstairs. That evening, Barnabas waits with Chris to see if he'll transform again. Uh, but Chris says, he says, I'm certain that I'll be fine. He says, this is when he says that when the sun touches the horizon... Yeah. I know. As soon as that happens, I'll know if I'm going to change or not. And he says, I feel fine. 
This sounds like something John Mulaney would say. <laughs> he says, it's fine. Just leave me the cocaine. <laughs> um, so Chris says, hey, let's celebrate. How about we have a drink together? He lifts up that crystal decanter. Okay. Let's have some, a little bit of scotch. Barnabas is like, no, I'm going to go back and tell Julia that everything's good. Uh, going to report in. I'm fine. Chris is like, whatever. They Suit yourself. The Eddie decanter. <laughs> every morning, every evening. Well, we old references. They're too old, way too old, even for us. And then um, Chris, though, after Barnabas is gone, takes a nice drink of this scotch. Real, ugh, oh my god. That's how I feel about drinking scotch in general. Yeah. Oh, the pain. Oh, the incredible pain. Uh, oh. Meanwhile, back at Collinwood, Barnabas and Julia discuss werewolves. Uh, Julia has signed a book in the library called The Book of the Werewolf. No, sorry, called The Werewolf of Ardennes. Of the Ardennes. I couldn't really hear what she said. The Werewolf of something. Apparently, a study of lycanthropy. We learn that there are two types of werewolves, according to this book. One, a person who actually becomes a wolf. Two, a person who believes he is a werewolf and merely acts in a bestial manner mm. when, when the moon changes. Meanwhile, back at the cottage, Chris is rolling around in pain. Let's come back to CW. Collinwood, good old Collinwood. Julia has gone to bed and is sleeping comfortably. Of course, I don't know how she's sleeping with her false eyelashes on. I don't know if women actually do that. I doubt it. It seems like something you would take off. Well, yeah, in TV shows, though. It feels like you'd wake up in the morning with your false eyelashes on the pillow. I think, like, ladies will put on their false eyelashes, make sure they're wearing a bra. And yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's the way it goes. Um, she's awakened by the sound of sobbing. She hears crying, and she wakes up. It is the ghost of Beth. Beth approaches her. She leads Julia, who is soon ju- joined by Barnabas, outside of outside of uh, Colin, uh, Collinwood, and they're like, they're like, She's like, did you see who that was? And he's like, he says, I didn't see anyone. She says, there was a, a, a ghost came into my room and I followed her down here. Hmm. And then Colin Baldwin says, she's going to where's Chris's cottage. <laughs> of course, they're just pointing off set. But, yeah. you know, you can't. They describe it. Look yeah. at it. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful out here. Uh, so Roman pillar after Roman pillar. And the ivy work. Amazing. Look <laughs> at that floral design. What is that? Uh, <laughs> unicorn running oh, across? What is this, a radio show? Oh, my gosh. Fibber McGee, let me open this door. Oh! <laughs> we had that last week. I know we did. Just open that closet again. Let's nope. Have... Oh, okay. Nope. You'll see everything is stacked still precariously in a different area. <laughs> I've learned no lessons, sir. <laughs> I don't learn from experience. So um, back at Chris's cottage, Beth is sobbing on her knees beside Chris. But when Julia and Barnabas enter, she's gone. She's gone. Although I will say that um, when they did the re the retake of the scene, they actually show her like standing up and walking off, which is not mm. quite as good. It's better when she just disappears without any sign. Um, Barnabas. So they see Chris laying on the ground. Julie, of course, checks him over. She tells she tells uh, Barnabas that he is dying. Oh. But Barnabas finds uh, Chris's glass on the floor and he picks it up and he sniffs it. Yeah. Maybe he's thinking, "What was he drinking? Scotch? Oh no!" He says, "This is Scotch." Smells strange to you? And he gives it to Julie, and she smells it, and she says, that's strychnine. And then they go, does this smell like chloroform to you? <laughs> well, yes, it... Clunk. Clunk. Classic gag. And then, I wanted to tell everyone, this is four shows worth of information I'm giving you. <laughs> this is how packed these shows are. Sure, sure. Uh, Julia calls the hospital for some atropine to uh, counteract the strych- strychnine. Uh, I guess it should be atropine. 
that mm. you used, atropine is what you used to counteract the strychnine. Uh, Barnabas thinks Chris attempted suicide. That's his mm-hmm. assumption. He's like, poor Chris, feeling so sorry about it, you know, we're killing people, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, back at Collinwood, Amy dreams that she is contacted by Beth. Beth leads Amy to Chris's cottage. Amy sees Chris through the window. He's sitting in a chair, and the blind is drawn in front of Amy's eyes, and uh, Beth warns her not to look. Just don't look. Don't look. Just don't look. But Amy Just can't. Don't look. But Amy can't help herself. Mm, she rushes into classic mistake. <laughs> not listening to a ghost. Amy rushes in to see Chris, but Beth warns her because she says Chris is safe. Uh-huh. And Beth warns her that the murderer will try again. Yeah, but you don't succeed in murder. The door opens on its own. Okay. Like before. Sure. And we hear Quentin's music playing. And Amy's like, Quentin, you're here. This is good news. But is it? Because when she turns and looks at Chris, he has a knife sticking out of his chest. Oh, what, what is, end is sticking he is, out? <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter. Both are bad. Both are bad. <laughs> In fact, it'd probably be worse if it was a hilt shoved into your <laughs> yes, chest. Yeah. At least the knife is thin. Uh, what's so hilarious, though, is that I don't know what they told the actor to do, but he is leaning back, and I'm going to imitate it for Ian. Please because, do. And he's like this. <laughs> it's like this really weird look on his face. His mouth is open. And his eyes are wide open, and he's like staring off in some weird direction. It's a very strange bit of direction by whoever was directing that episode. Uh, so, um, so then she, uh, and then in the dream, David appears to her in the dream, and he apologizes to Amy, and he mm. says he, he tried to. I tried to stop him. I tried to stop him from from doing this. And then Beth appears again, and she intones, "Chris, Chris must die. Chris must die. Chris." must die christmas day christmas day she's british oh okay Very she's good. british it's okay it's christmas day we thought it meant christmas die but no no it's christmas day i was just thinking like you gotta die things for christmas all those christmasy <laughs> colors so amy awakens i saw three ships come sailing in and christmas die and christmas, christmas die. die saw three ships come sailing in and, and christmas, christmas die he's a werewolf that's right <laughs> uh amy awakens in with a mixture of uh Horror and defiance. That's me most mornings. Is that right? Yeah. <gasps> I you must. Know what? Fuck it. I'm getting up. <laughs> P is like, what's going on? <laughs> ah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> I'm gonna make some eggs. Way. It's a good realistic way to face yeah, the day. Yeah. Let me open the fridge. Day. What the hell? What is it? <laughs> oh, we're out of juice. That's fine though. I'll make some. Uh, so, despite Julia and uh, Barnabas' suspic- uh, suspicions, Chris denies any knowledge of of. of Strickland. He sure, did, sure. This was not suicide because, you know, suicide is painless and this was very painful. <laughs> he mentions that David visited the day before. No one wants to believe that David, though, is capable of poisoning someone. Of course not. Julia tells Chris that he is being protect, protected by a guardian spirit, mm. meaning the ghost of Beth. Uh, he says, well, I drank some spirits and they weren't in protect me, did they? <laughs> Get out. <laughs> um, Amy arrives, scared about Chris. She mentions her dream but becomes cagey under questioning because, of course, she can't talk about Quentin and she can't talk about the game that she and David have been playing, which involves trying to kill people. Right. So, you know, so Ben Barnabas questions David until Amy comes in and Amy is mad at David for keeping Quentin's plan secret. David confesses his fear of Quentin. Bar- Barnabas is gone at this point. Uh, and it's actually really good acting a little bit of acting by the actor who plays David. Oh, okay. Confessing his fear. It's really, it does a good job. He says, he says, are you ever frightened of someone? And he says, yeah. And he's kind of holding on to the doorpost when he says it. And it's really affecting. It's really good. Uh, Amy decides 
that she is going to tell the truth to Liz, or Miss Stoddard, as she calls her. And she goes, and David is dead set against this. He does not want her to tell, because he, he's afraid of what Quentin will do to them. But Amy wants to tell the truth because she's afraid for Chris. And Maggie overhears the conversation, and so she knows that Amy and David have a secret. But she doesn't know exactly what it is yet, or I don't know what she knows. And that's where we end this episode, everybody. And the next time we come back, it'll be episode 679. That was four episodes of stuff. This show is crazy how much it fits into it. So, look, if you uh, if you want to follow along, that's on Tubi. And yep. the next episode, sorry, again, is 679. 679, looking fine. There we go, everyone. Well, I think we should go into letters now because we are... We're, we're gentlemen of letters. We're gentlemen letters. So last week we asked some questions, as we do. We do. We, we do. ask questions. We're we like, we're not leaving here until you answer. And you <laughs> did. Yeah. Uh, we asked, have you ever canned anything? And we don't mean like you fired someone. We mean like some canning as in like some food or what have you. Mm-hmm. Also, what's your favorite biography? And where do you listen to your podcasts? You know, or is it on a tractor like Regis? Let's see. Now, this is unusual because normally Crystal is the last of the letters on the main page, which is sneakydragon.com. Yeah, she's taken over from Ed. Yeah, uh, but uh, she's first. First oh, wow. this time around. You may be able to hear uh, Dave eating some sour candies while uh, while I'm reading this. I am. I am, sorry. So, uh, if you're hearing him, he's going... Why, was that, was that that audible? Well, you know, we're going to talk about food, and it will sound now like uh, <laughs> delicious food is uh, being consumed. So, Crystal writes... It's so temptingly close to me. My favorite item to can is watermelon rind preserves. What? That's very... I would have guessed a hundred times. Never got that. But you know what? She is from the South. Mm-hmm. South is well known for their watermelons. You know, like Texas is like one sure. of the first places you get watermelons from in the summertime. But would you think rind? No, because I would never eat well, rind. Me, but me, she does go on to explain it, and it does sound quite, it reminds, uh, quite good, actually. It uh, me, this is, I'm being crystal now, it reminds me of my grandpa. I fondly remember him bringing watermelons over to the house to share. Mom would cut the flesh off the rind, dice the rind, peel the skin, and put the rinds into a storage bag for him. As I type this, I can mentally picture him standing over the stove, cooking up the rinds, pouring in sugar, stirring them with love. He lived to a ripe old age of 97, but every time I spread some preserves across a hot, buttered English muffin, I feel like I'm connected to him. Little heart. Uh, That's great. If you have not heard of this type of preserve, it is similar to marmalade in Mm. that you're candying the rind, but it is much sweeter. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. That sounds really, really good. Crystal. You can answer this uh, for me, please. Is this like a well-known southern treat, or is this something particular, peculiar to your family, or when peculiar you bring to this your out, region? Do people go, what? Or yeah, do they go, ah, oh, I love this. Or my my grandma used to make this too. Yeah, and also, is this is this easily findable if someone were traveling through the south? Because it is a dream of mine to one day travel through the southern United States. I want to go on a canoe trip down the river in the in the southern United States. I don't know why I've always dreamed of that. Going down there, just joking, it's a deliverance joke. Um, no, I would... Um, First of all, you got to go to Maine and banger. <laughs> so, uh, no, I'm just curious. Like, if it's something you could find if you were in the South. Like, is it like a, uh, a, a findable treat? Because I would love... I love watermelon, for one thing. And so I would love to give that a try. And I love marmalade. So this is, yeah. like, this is like so up my alley, is what I'm saying. 
So to continue, but I'm very pro-marmalade as well. This guy's a real Paddington, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, some people have Bibles that are stuffed with bookmarks, dog-eared pages, and lots of sticky notes, marking the places they uh, want to frequently reference. I, on the other hand, have a sticky note-stuffed uh, biography I keep in a stack of books by my bed. Even the sticky notes are color-coordinated to make it faster to find certain uh, sections. The biography is about Meriwether Lewis, and it was written by Richard Dillon. Richard Dillon uh, is a renowned, award-winning Western historian, educator, author, and most importantly, librarian, <laughs> like Crystal, yeah. uh, if you have not listened to previous episodes. Yeah. Uh, he has set out to write a biography about a great American explorer, but ended up becoming fascinated with the mystery surrounding his death. And since I have family buried outside of Lewis, I am fascinated with this story. Side note, in the 1960s, he was asked to give the commencement speech at Vanderbilt's Peabody College. His speech was about Meriwether Lewis and how Lewis embodied excellence. Hmm. At the end, he charged some young, unnamed future librarian to pick up the mantle of his research, discover new sources, and find out the truth about Lewis's death. When I first read his speech, which is archived at the State Library, I felt like it was directed at me. And yes, that makes his biography about Lewis even more meaningful to me. One of the uh, leaders of the Lewis and Clark expedition. So, just so people, if people don't know who Mary with whether Lewis was, By the way, it sounds like a good podcast. And that makes me wonder. There was an episode of Listening Party where we were talking about oh, uh, Griff Griff or Gruff Reese from uh, Super Furry Animals, who has a solo career. He did an album about this person who was an explorer, explored the United States. He's like a Welsh guy, and it's thought that a map that he made was used by Lewis and Clark. As part to as part of to find their way as part of the Lewis and Clark. So I wonder if uh, if uh, Crystal caught that episode and was interested by that little bit of trivia. Interesting. Uh, I have the Pocket Cast app on my cell phone. That's how I listen to your podcast. Me too. Normally, I listen to Sneaky Dragon while I drive my car on my way. That's a Beatles song. On my way to work, uh, about driving uh, while driving to pick up my son from school, while driving him to my parents to watch uh, when I finish up my work day, and then on the way home. At 20 to 30 minute intervals, it is normally Wednesday evening uh, before I finish the podcast. This week, however, instead of watching Dark Shadows, I listen to the podcast while cleaning my house on Sunday, which is why you're getting a more timely response from me. Hmm. I suppose this means uh, that since I have finished the episode, I'll have to listen to a downloaded audiobook from our uh, library's uh, digital lending collection while driving this week. I'm watching Dark Shadows as I type this. Oh, ah, nice, nice. There we go. Dave, uh, Dave objects to people doing two things at once. <laughs> uh, I'm way, way behind David, but I am up to episode 519. Ooh, I'm appreciative of the opportunity to try to play catch-up. Have a wonderful week, and I plan to write a shorter response next week. We will check in with you. Don't. Keep him on. Yeah, as long as you want. It's fine. Keep him on. Uh, Edward Dragansky writes, ah, number two, Ed! Used <laughs> to be the last. Now you're the second. Everyone who was last is first. Yeah. You know what? The Bible was right. Uh, always. He who's last will be first. He who's first will uh, type last. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never canned anything, but my dad and my grandmother did plenty when he was growing up, as well as uh, when I used to visit my grandmother. My dad grew up on a farm that grew everything, so canning was an everyday way of life. I called him earlier to ask him in preparation for this question. Thank you. And he said, what didn't we can? I think this is my impression of, of him. What didn't we can? I think at times we had enough to feed a small army. You will call the story about her stealing the apples to make a- apple... Uh, everything a few weeks ago. Well, that was just the start of what my grandma had in jars in that little basement of hers. <laughs> I remember everything from beets 
to red raspberries, to relish in those jars, and so much more. <laughs> My favorite was thinly sliced cucumbers. Oh, this is good. And something that was probably as simple as vinegar and some sugar. And they were uh, properly canned and opened after the process was done. Mm. I put those cucumbers all over my salad for that nice, sour, sweet taste. God, I love those. Dad used to use the red raspberries over ice cream like syrup almost. Whenever we visited my grandmother, she'd send us back to Texas with a full box of jars filled with everything. The strict orders were to send them back to her, her version of recycling. I never canned anything, but I sure enjoyed the results of a lot of their hard work. Now, my own question, favorite, biogra uh, favorite biography. I've read Harpo Speaks more than once. It's such a wonderful and honest journey from Harpo's perspective. He wrote it with Roland Barber very late in life, so it takes into account uh, much of the circulatory issues he had with his health, which ultimately led to his passing. Hmm. I also enjoyed growing up with Chico about his, uh, by his daughter, Maxine Marx. She doesn't pull any punches and pretty much sums up Chico exactly as everyone else saw him in a roguish way. As if he couldn't help himself. It's all there. The gambling, the assorted women, and the gamblings. <laughs> Double down. <laughs> I also enjoyed all the William Shatner biographies, Star Trek memories, Star Trek movie memories, and the Get a Life biography about the years of Trek conventions. I've lived uh, much of that, so it was fun reading uh, Shatner's pr perspective. Mm -hmm. I was on a train in Chicago uh, years ago, and the guy next to me was reading one of Shatner's books. I asked uh, what he thought about it, and before I could uh, tell him how much I enjoyed them all, he said, they're really infantile, such a mediocre class of writing. So I left it at that. And that man's name was James Dugan. Uh, Chris Roberts uh, replies, Harpo Speaks is such a great read. Uh, the first Marx-related uh, book I read was Charlotte Chandler's Hello, I Must Be Going which I must have picked up shortly after its first paperback publication in 1979, and I really enjoyed. And on a side note, the William Shatner Ben Folds version of Pulp's Common People is a masterpiece. I agree. I like that song quite a bit. Edward, was Yeah, it's good, because Pulp is basically, you know, like uh, Jarvis Cocker basically intones his songs as well. He's not like a, a real singer. Mm -hmm. So it, really, it does really work with... Uh, and I think, um, I think Ben Folds' arrangement is much superior to the Pulp version. I like it. Uh, Edward uh, writes, I usually listen to Sneaky Dragon while I'm taking a bath, hoping I don't prune up too much <laughs> by the time David's done with Dark Shadows. <laughs> I'm not in a bath, but I prune up by the time he's done. Seriously, I listen uh, while I work around the house uh, through my AirPods and iPhone. The noise cancelling allows me to vacuum and still hear the show. <laughs> Let's see Liam attempt that on a tractor. I think he means Regis. I think he does too. Maybe Liam's on the tractor as well. We haven't looked. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, if I'm still not done with the podcast after cleaning, I can continue listening in my car while I'm out toy hunting at night. Yeah, he's got those evil toys that like uh, mm. are out on his lawn. And he's yeah, you've got to kill them all before they get away. Yeah, I yeah. Seen, I you seen, saw Trilogy of uh, Terror, right? That's oh, I thought it was Army Man. Oh, well, it could also be Toy Story. Toy Story 1, oh, yeah, that's 2, true. That's 3, true. 4. Uh, it's not an exciting weekend without Sneaky Dragon. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Um, Chris Roberts. Here we go. Chris Roberts. Uh, writes again, uh, as ever, I found this week's conversation about uh, past and present experiences with your parents insightful and moving. Both of you expressed your feeling. By the way, let me say this. And this is a very tender letter, but I talked to Nina about this because mm. we interrupted her letter. And uh, she was saying, you know, she said some nice things. But she also said she was going like, uh, get back to my letter. <laughs> so, uh, 
Jello. Just want to put that in there. Anyway, uh, sorry, Chris, for interrupting your, uh, your words. As ever, I found this week's conversation about past and present experiences with your parents insightful and moving. Both of you expressed your feelings very articulately and with great care and compassion, prompting me to reflect not only on my own childhood, but also on how some of the things I experienced then continue to influence my attitudes and behaviors to this day. It isn't easy to go back to dark times, but it can often be worthwhile. And this week's episode was genuinely helpful to me. I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah, that's really sweet. Thank Thank you you very, very much for being so open and sharing these memories and thoughts. I guess Sneaky Dragon, like life itself, isn't all vampires and candy bars. Well, I've got some traumatic vampire and candy bar uh, uh, memories as well. We can slip in there. But uh, really do appreciate that. It's funny. Eve and I, we were working together uh, on the uh, bathroom on the weekend and... We're talking about something like about this, and she said, "Do you remember when Grandma? You remember when Great Grandma died, and you phoned Grandma to find out when the funeral was, and she told you it already had happened, but it hadn't." What? <laughs> I said, "I said, you know what? I don't remember that at all because I can't hang on to those things. If I think about them, it really is hurtful, and so I just let them go, <laughs> go away." <laughs> yeah, it's funny those sort of weird. It's weird control control did, issues. Did much. you end up going to the funeral? Yeah. Yeah, and we ended up going. Was it a joke she was saying? It like no, it wasn't a joke. She was just, she was just mad at me for whatever. I just hadn't called in a week or whatever. And so uh, as, that was her vengeance was that, you see, you didn't call me for a week, so you missed the funeral. Yeah, I, uh, I, I told you I found out my dad died uh, through a sarcastic uh, phone call, which was I was asking, you know, how's everything? Because it was a phone call. I was mm-hmm. like, hey, like, hey, hey how's, how's all, everything going? It's like, I guess it's all fine, you know, except dad's dead. That's how I found out my dad died. Ouch. Yep. So, there so you go. no one thought to call you and tell you. This was the call to tell me. Oh, that. this was the call. This was the call to tell me. But uh, you know, there was room. Well, like where I'm going, like I should have. I guess I should have answered, "How's dad?" <laughs> Instead of you know, "How are you doing?" You know, that was my mistake. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I deserved a bit of guff. And so I found out that. Mm. <laughs> Um, it's, it's quite hard to recommend biographies as much as, uh, as each person's enjoyment of a particular book is bound to the reflect on their interest in the subject matter as much as the quality of the writing. This is very true. However, mm-hmm. George Plimpton's book, Truman Capote, might be the exception that proves the rule. Uh, Plimpton based his book on interviews with surviving friends of the late author and presents these in oral history style. So you get to hear the story through the words of a range of uh, protagonists. Hmm. Naturally, their accounts don't always match up and the reader has to make decisions about who to believe, if anyone. Hmm. I really enjoyed that aspect, which gives the book something of the feel of a great mystery novel or a movie which might extend its appeal beyond those who are already interested in Capote's life and work. I really like interview books. That's something I Yeah, I do like that too. That is One of my favorites is um it's like one about Saturday Night Live that I'm uh, I think it's just called Live from New York. Mm-hmm, yeah, that's good. All the perspectives and I also really enjoy this book called Something Like a Drug, an unauthorized uh, unauthorized oral history of theater sports. Those are two I go back to over and over again. Yeah, I, I do like those. My, my one complaint about those books is they lack an author authorial point of view. Mm-hmm. So when I'm reading like a biography of someone, I want the author to either like that person or not like that person. And to have like opinions about their work and to have opinions okay. about the, you know, like when you're reading about like the excesses of, of the, you know, the late 70s, 80s, Saturday Night Live, it would be nice to have an authorial step back and talk about Who this. Who could that be? No, just any author. It doesn't have to be, you know, it could be, yeah. you know, like any, anyone has a valid opinion of that stuff, you know. It's just really tough when, you know. It doesn't have to be someone who is there. Yeah. 
You know, you can still have an opinion. You can have an opinion of Oscar Wilde. It doesn't just because you never met him. It doesn't mean you can't have a kind of a valid opinion of him. Yeah, except Oscar Wilde isn't still alive. That's the thing. Most mm-hmm. of the people who are being interviewed are still around, and it's tough to like go. Here's what I think it was, or like. Well, it doesn't be that. You can just talk about. You know, you said it yourself. How helpful was having all night writing sessions? Yeah. You know, like how how is that helping people? You know, be creative. It's not. I think you know. that I think the hope in those kind of books is you give one perspective, then a different perspective, and mm-hmm. then you make your own judgment. Like one person, that, this was really bad for us. Sure. This was really good for us. This was the best thing. Well, of course, they yeah. thought that because of blah, blah, blah. No, that's fun. That can be fun too. No, I'm not putting those books. I'm just saying I, I like. I also like books that are just like I wouldn't want to only read. I would that. say one of the problems with books like Life from New York is getting a series of uh, monologues almost from people, mm-hmm. whereas it would probably work better if, even though I did really enjoy it, mix them up. And yeah. like, okay, now bring in, mm-hmm. you know, this person who worked with this person, or this person only yeah. did one season, this person did a bunch of seasons, What was it? and have yeah. them talk yeah. to each other. And that's the thing, like an authorial voice can do that, right? Because they have a particular point of view they want to, and you can disagree or agree with what they're, what they think. Yeah. But they have a particular way they want to present this information, and then they, they do. And I think yeah, that that works, like? too. And I think, because they're talking about um, Truman Capote made me think of Tom Wolfe. And one thing I love about Tom Wolfe, like a book like The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, which is a really good description of Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters in that particular period of the 60s, is that he has a point of view, you know, and so that's part of the story is his opinion of what's happening. And that's interesting. You know, like someone, it can't just be like, a full, you know, just straight on, uh, you know, just one person recounting after another. It's interesting, but it's something I've often thought about, though, actually. There's a great, there's a, not great story, but there's a fun kind of fun story about J.K. Testerton. And apparently at some point he was on like a book tour and he wrote to his wife and he said, I'm in Upper Chalmsdale, where ought I to be? Because you know, he was lost, he'd just gotten lost, and so. And what was funny, I was reading this book, and it was like a series of recollections of different authors about G.K. Chesterton, and not one of them said the same town. <laughs> Everyone said different towns until you got to Kenneth Tynan in the '60s, and Tynan said it was this town. People say it wasn't this town. People say other towns, but this was the actual town it was, and this, you know, blah blah blah. And he's very forceful about that. And forever on after that, everyone says that town in their recountings of this story. And I, to me, I'm sort of disappointed. I'm like, it doesn't really matter what town it was in. It's kind of fun that it keeps floating around. And yeah. that it keeps, I'm in Luton, where ought I to be? I'm in, you know, such and such. You know, this is fun. It's fun that, you know, that no one knows for sure. But it's just a fun story about someone, probably even apocryphal story about someone that perfectly sums up his character, but isn't necessarily true, you know, because that's, that's also true. Right. Something that sums up that person, you know. And so I, I kind of, it's sort of, uh, anyway, does anyone want to talk about that? Anyway, go no, on. No, that's interesting. Chris is mad now because we're interrupting his letter. <laughs> uh, like Dave, I loved uh, Mark Lewison's, am I saying that right? Mark Lewison, yeah. Uh, tune in. Yes, the nerd-tastic extended version. <laughs> but it's definitely aimed at confer- confirmed Beatles nuts. That's true. I also really enjoyed uh, Craig Brown's recent one, two, three, four, The Beatles in Time, uh, which would be a better bet for the more casual fan. This owes a large debt to Lewison but is uh, less scholarly as well as uh, much shorter and hugely entertaining. Hmm. Sneaky Dragon arrives here on Sunday morning, which is perfect for me. I subscribed through Apple Podcasts and listen with earbuds uh, on my phone, usually while doing household tasks such as cooking, baking bread, garden stuff, or bike maintenance. Cool. 
Glad to get you through all that stuff. One thing I never do is listen to you while trying to get to sleep. Uh, <laughs> though I do this with plenty of other podcasts and radio shows. Somehow, it just wouldn't feel right. I have relatives that uh, listen to us to go to sleep. We've, um, had, we've had other listeners who listen to us to sure, go to sleep sure. as well. We've gone to sleep during our own show. Well, I have. I think I have too, probably. <laughs> Good. Um, Louis, Louise, uh, who never sleeps. Louise never sleeps? No. Wow. She's like an owl. So she's like rust. Uh, people do say, Louise, she's like rust. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then you go, explain yourself, and then you skulk away. Rust and never sleeps. That's I, a I understand. Neil Young album. Uh, very good. Oh, there you go. I didn't know it was a reference to Neil Young. Yeah. Um, uh, here, here's my question about Neil Young. You know Can when he, he sang that song, Old Man, Look at My Life? Uh, yep. I'm a lot like you. I'm a lot like you. Do you think he's older now than that old man at the time? Yep. Yeah, probably. That was a guy who worked as a, as a ranch hand on his ranch. Oh, Okay. Uh, Louise writes, when I was growing up, we had a peach tree, a cherry tree, and two plum trees. Well, you've won! Mm. Uh, uh, At Vegas, you've won with that. That's fantastic. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. Our neighbor had a pear tree, so we canned all those fruits. We also made strawberry and blueberry jam, raspberry and blackberry jam. Mm, Good, good. mm, mm, mm. My mom used to steal the jam and jellies uh, with pear... Oh, seal. (laughs) I thought she was stealing Stealing them from the neighbors. That's right. Smarter than the average mom. That's why we had a locked room for our canning. Uh, my mom used to seal the jam and jellies oh, with paraffin wax. I remember that. And whenever we opened a new jar, we kids would pop the wax in our mouths. Did it not do that. It was soft enough to chew like gum. Did not do that. But using wax is not food safe. So my sister now uses uh, the water canning, uh, bath canning method for jams mm, yeah. as well as tomato sauce. It's fun to do. Speaking of cans, Dave. Yeah? The clover leaf canned fish label mm. has a four leaf clover logo on it. Mm-hmm. I associate it with good luck as in... You're in luck that someone caught a fish that someone else preserved it in a can so you could eat it in weeks, months, or even <laughs> years later. Years yeah. later. But let me just say, wasn't good luck for the fish. Nope. Unless that's what they wanted. Uh, she also says she's not into biographies, but she does read memoirs hmm. by comedy writers like Trevor Noah, Mindy Kaling, and Ali Wong, as their books are bound to be funny. And congratulations, <laughs> Louise, on being a new dad. I can tell that by that joke. <laughs> In that way, you're a lot like uh, John Mulaney. Mm. Um, uh, Lisa writes. Oh, Oh, you know Lisa. That's my wife. She has been on the show. My wife. Um, See, you can you can say if this is true or not because you're around. Canning. Mm -hmm. I've canned quite a few things and made jams and even tried marmalade once, but it turned out more like a (laughs) tarmalade. So gave up on that. No comment. One of the things, a good smart smart man. Mm-hmm. One of the things I like to make the most is applesauce. Yes. But a, I need a lot of time to do that, which I don't seem to have these days. And b, I really like only to use a particular kind of apple, which is very hard to get a hold of transparent due to its rarity. Transparent apples. I did win the I did win the applesauce competition three years in a row at the Alder Grove Fall Fair with this particular type. So I figure I don't have anything else to prove. It feels if you won it again, you'd set yourself up for murder. Mm. That feels just like, you know, she won three years in a row when she was competing (laughs) this year. That's right. right. And and then the and then the detective would go, I guess somebody didn't like them apples. (laughs) Yeah. And then they'd start the episode. Um Biography. Mm-hmm. I like the biography of Zelda Fitzgerald uh, that I read many years ago. I tried to read a biography of Winston Churchill, yeah. which I thought uh, would have been interesting, but I could not get through it. Well, you know what? England couldn't get through with him either and kicked him out. <laughs> so you are not alone. 
Yep. Listening to podcasts. I listen to the podcast when I clean the horse's stalls in the morning before going to work. So it's just dealing with all sorts of shit. Yeah, that makes sense. Only horses, uh, our horses only live in, in them at night in the fall and the winter. So it'll be another six weeks before I have a daily listening schedule. <laughs> there we go. Um, nice. So our thank you very much. Oh, wait, we've got a, a letter. We, we got get? a letter. We got a letter. Sir, would you mind reading that letter as is your way? I will read the letter. I was just going to say, I was looking up what episode 519 of Dark Shadows was. Mm-hmm. Everyone, it's back in the days when Cassandra was uh, still oh, haunting the uh, Collinswood. And uh, Stokes revived the ghost of the uh, the Reverend, St- or the Reverend, uh, what was his name? Reverend? Mm, sorry. Fla- uh, Fla- Flask? Reverend Whatever his name was. That reverend. He revived him. Uh, yeah, we had a, an email from our friend Kanan Grawl. Oh, nice. And I often forget to um, read the subject line, and people often put something oh. in there. And his says, male baggy pants. <laughs> Hello, chaps, and not the assless kind. Ooh. Just wanted to say... Well, as far as you know. Whenever I hear someone say coyote, it makes me think of people who say it the other way, where it rhymes with boat. As in coyote. I feel like those are the people who also say nuclear. Am I wrong? No, you're right. But no, that's not all I wanted to say. On the topic of favorite non-Disney films, the most recent recent DreamWorks film, Abominable, was absolutely stunning. I didn't see that. Did you see that? Which one? Abominable. It won the People's Choice Award. You know what? There was three damn... Bigfoot movies. There's missing there was, link. Yeah, there's a all the Yeti. Movies. There was another one where he was. Uh, he you could understand him, but you couldn't understand the person. Mm. If I I saw those two, I'm not sure if I saw the the other one. If uh, there's three three Yeti type movies at the same time, they all heard each other was making one and said, okay. "Time to jump on that trend." Uh, he says, "Abominable was absolutely stunning, <laughs> but my favorite non-Disney movie by far, partly fueled by mis." by nostalgia, is the Foot Rot Flats movie. I don't know if you got the New Zealand newspaper comic strips over here in Canada land. Probably not. Probably not. About Kiwi Farm life starring dog and well Foot Rot. Nope. A rather hapless farmer. It seems to... Sorry, I seem to recall it had some major international heat, maybe in the 80s or early 90s, so maybe? No. Mm -hmm. But the animated film is possibly the best translation of comic to screen ever made though kiwis were rather upset that well or wall was i guess it's walter wally wall was <laughs> voiced by an australian it's truly fantastic but i doubt there's anywhere online you'd be able to watch it youtube maybe i'll see if i can find it also bill plimpton's the tune is a lot of fun yeah that is fun about a songwriter's journey for the perfect song that takes him through ten vignettes of musical genre parodies with incredibly inventive animation and catchy tunes, the most famous of which is probably the two old guys hurting each other in increasingly violent ways, turning each other's head to grass and mowing it down with a lawnmower, etc. <laughs> I met Bill Plimpton at San Diego Comic-Con once, where he was giving out free sketches, even if you didn't buy anything from him. I got a sketch but he was very grumpy and very obviously regretting his decision, even though I did buy a DVD from him. Oh, well. I still enjoy his movies. The tune is the best of them, though. Uh, Also, you cannot overlook the triplets of Belleville Mm -hmm. and everything from the Irish studio Cartoon Saloon, Secret of Kells, Song of the Sea, and their latest, the Apple Plus exclusive, 
Wolfwalkers. Oh, okay. I gotta check that out. Oh, yeah, I watched it. I thought it was very good. I really oh, liked that okay, movie. I, I really like. Down. I want to see this. So I'm writing this down. I really like the style of the art. That was really good. Okay. Even Puffin Rock, their kids show on Netflix, is really good. On the subject of getting lost, and knowing Kanan told us in the past that his son does not like kids shows, so Kanan is watching Puffin Rock entirely on his own. Oh. On the subject subject of getting lost, when I arrived in Canada. I stayed in Vancouver for two weeks before venturing into the rest of North America, up to Edmonton for a week, back to Vancouver for another week, a week in Portland, got lost there and found Powell's. That's a very good way to get yeah, lost. Yeah, that's great. You probably got lost in Powell's. A few days in Salt Lake City, almost getting mugged in Denver, but being Australian saved me before getting to San Diego. I guess they thought he had a knife. You're Australian? This guy ran away. Oh, is our neighbor? Someone's yelling. I'm waiting for you to come out. Yeah. So hopefully they, you know, are cool with their sexuality and they'll be able to do that. <laughs> but you know, in your own time. Yeah. No, no, don't rush it. Don't rush it. Don't no. yell it outside a house. Please don't. Uh, he says, uh, so uh, almost getting, uh, sorry, almost getting mugged in Denver, but being Australian saved me before getting to San Diego. But anyway, I didn't have, where he met Bill Plimpton. But anyway, I didn't have a car, so I spent two weeks walking all over Vancouver getting lost every day. I found all the good art, art stores. The bookstore that only sells art books. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, that one's gone now. It used to be on Granville, right? By Granville? Sorry, on Broadway and Granville? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That was a good store. The comic shops, Zulu Records, that yeah. I later recognized in an episode of Dead Like Me, Seattle My Butt, totally walked into Granville Island not yeah. knowing what it was, was going to watch, oh, a, st- nice. going to watch a strong woman busker there that I met in Edmonton. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to look up that busker and you can tell me if that's the one that I'm thinking of. Okay. Took me a few days to realize a lot of shopping was underground. Had never experienced the whole, it gets cold here, so we have indoor walkways to get around thing before. Let me, ask, from let me ask you, sorry. Yeah. Is it Mama Lou? Was it Mama Lou? Kenan? We saw her at the PE uh, a little while ago and uh, maybe two years ago. And she was great. Is that the strong woman busker you're talking about? Oh, that sounds interesting. Tearing uh, phone books in half. Oh, wow. Uh, breaking this. pans. That's just wrecking pans. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty great. That's that. She's, she goes and buys them from the, from the, uh, the home show. Goes and, goes and buys this, the, the pans they sell there. Because they're just cheap garbage. We all know that. Come on, let's face it, folks. I'm sure they're not the best pants. This is true. <laughs> she can also like, rip a, a deck of cards in half, which is also very oh, that's impressive. That's impressive. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, Her real trick, though, is finding but, phone books in this day and age. Yes. Because she's got these multiple ones for multiple shows. Like, that's tough to find a phone book in a I town. think they still make them. Yeah, but it, you know, find them in a town all year long. Yeah, that's like true. You, you, yeah, it's tricky. She probably just goes around and asks people if they can do- donate them. Donate them. Uh, he says, so he never experienced the whole it gets so cold thing because he's from Australia, which is true. Here we have a place called Pacific Center, which is a, a buried mall. Part of it's under, uh, underground, uh, which, you know, makes sense in cities like Calgary and, yeah. and, and Winnipeg. But here in Vancouver, it really doesn't get that cold. Like, it's kind of silly. In fact, I was listening to uh, a long time ago counselor who used to be on um, used to be on city council. He was long for... Long time, kind of a crotchety old guy by the time he, he left. And he was being interviewed because he was retiring as a, as a, as a, as a, his role as a city, as a town, you know, at City Hall. And, and uh, they're asking what his biggest regret was. And he said, uh, backing the Pacific Center, he mm. said that killed Granville Street. Sure. Because it took everything and put it underground and killed the surface. And I thought that was really interesting. And also, it looks like a big urinal. But anyway, back to Kanan's letter. 
After San Diego, I made my way by bus across the U.S. to Niagara Falls, where I stumbled into the center of town, the center of old town, where everything was dead or dying, and when I went into a little local bar to get some lunch, it was like a stranger walking into, sal- into a saloon in a western. All the locals stopped and looked up at me. I sat and had a steak sandwich for lunch, and it was all they had. Everything else in the menu was unavailable, and it was one of the worst things I've ever eaten. Oh. I only discovered Niagara Falls had a new center of town on the last day. I did discover their butterfly house, walking between the falls and my hostel, though. A bloody long, boring walk. No wonder the hostel was cheap. Cheap enough to have a sign on the showers that said, Please do not masturbate in the showers. <laughs> and then you went, come again? <laughs> I also got lost in Central Park because Central Park! The place is huge, and there's not a straight pathway in the place. I thought I was keeping my location pretty straight in my head. I entered where Columbus Circle is located, the big main gates, and thought I would exit on the same side farther north. But I was totally on the opposite side. Lastly, because this is your show, not mine, on the subject of being shaped by your experiences and interactions with your family, I recently came up with my own mantra that I'm thinking of putting on t-shirts because... I feel it might resonate with a lot of people. And that is, my dad taught me how to avoid conflict, so I stopped talking to my mother. (laughs) It's pretty good. Okay, now that's it. You've had enough. I'm cutting me off. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you, Kanan. Thank you very much for that. I always appreciate emails from listeners, because then it's my turn to shine. Do we have uh, questions for this episode? Yeah, I would go with one. Uh, I know it's like a... Not to get too dark with things, but like, is there something, because we talked about like addiction, but it doesn't have to be addiction. Is there something that you ever had to give up that was hard to give up? Like a habit mm. or, you know, something, uh, something, you know, I'm going to give up eating this. I'm going to give up doing this, mm-hmm. give up smoking, give yeah. up drinking, give up something, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, is there something right now I'm like uh, a pescatarian, so I'm not eating a lot of uh, meat uh, like as in uh, beef or uh, pork or any uh, chicken. Yeah. And that's tricky. And maybe tonight I might actually have some. We'll see. Um, <laughs> I had, a, you, I had thought... a little tummy trouble earlier today, so I may have a little something like that. Uh, I thought yeah, you only eat people who bother you. So is there something you ever had to give up? And did it work out? And it could be something you gave up and it didn't, uh, it didn't work out. Mm. So, you know, whatever you're comfortable talking about, yeah. I'm in. And Dave, do you have a question? Um, do I have a question? I I don't have a question. Sorry. That's let me just okay. think. Let me think. Uh, let me th- let's go back to something I asked a little earlier. I'm gonna. It's kind of a general question. I hope people can answer it or will enjoy answering this one. What's your favorite episode of a sitcom that you love? Okay, favorite episode of a sitcom. I love. Yeah. All right. Very good. Uh, I'm gonna say for me, Taxi. Uh, I liked uh, Taxi a lot, and it was an episode where uh, Lodka had to get a divorce. Oh. Carol Kane. They had a very good ending to it. Mm. Really beautiful ending. I, I really enjoyed the episode where the Reverend Jim had to go do the driver's uh, test, mm-hmm. and they're, they're they're cheating and they're trying to give him the answers. You know that? And they're, and they're, they're like, that one. It he's like, like uh, he's like, what do you do when you come to a yellow light? And they're like, slow down. What do you do when you come to a yellow light? Slow down. What do you? That's really good. Excellent. Yeah. Christopher Lloyd, great career, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. All That's right. Good. So those are our two questions. And here's how you get in contact with us. I've already told you about SneakyDragon.com. That's the website. Uh, every episode is there. Post underneath uh, the episode of choice. You can even post it under a past episode. We'll be fine with that. <laughs> yep. You can go to Facebook, and uh, Sneaky Dragon is on Facebook. Post there. Go to Twitter, sne- uh, at Sneaky underscore Dragon. 
Uh, and you can also go to Tumblr, sneakydragon.tumblr.com, though you won't. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, one more time, uh, my wife's got a TV show uh, on FX uh, coming up on Monday. Uh, so I am so Monday, excited, uh, everybody. Monday, the what is the September 13th. 13th. September 13th. September 13th. And uh, there's other ways of looking at it. You can watch it on television in Canada. You can watch it on streaming in the UK. And you can watch it on streaming in the States. Uh, I don't know how it is in Australia. I think it is on Disney Plus in the, in Australia as well. So uh, I would appreciate you giving it a watch. Yeah. And to getting those ratings up. So uh, <laughs> Poppy here can buy a house so that one day I can buy a dog. That's the goal. All right. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say before we go off and get some Greek food? I want to say... Opa! Okay. Take it easy, sleazy. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.